1: Use the promo code big
0: blue. Blue Liar.
2: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co host, Nick Pilato. Today's a special day in life of Nick Pilato, someone who I know so quite clearly wants to be heard and wants to be seen. And it's his birthday today so let's shout him out let's wish him a happy birthday he's the type that really wants all the attention on the birthday i think he once referred to it as a birthday month not a birthday uh wants the <laughs> celebration to really last throughout the month he would prefer if we all collectively got together and sang the birthday song to him happy <laughs> birthday to you but we're not going to do that right now we'll i uh, leave it to me the curmudgeon to bring up the larry david curb your enthusiasm episode that's now two corporate references in the last two days uh, one of my favorite seasons and one of my favorite episodes when he's at Ben Stiller's birthday party and Larry David won't sing the birthday song. Everyone else in the room is singing it. And Cheryl's like, why? And, and then he catches a glance with Ben Stiller who's looking at him. He's so pissed off. He's not singing. He's like, Cheryl's like, why don't you just sing the birthday song? He's like, I, I don't sing the birthday song. And I'm with Larry. The birthday song freaking sucks. If you're over the age of eight, you shouldn't be wanting the birthday song to be sung to you. And you shouldn't be singing the birthday song. And if I'm ever at a dinner at any point with my friends or family, so a shout out to any of them and a warning. To some degree, if you start to sing the birthday song to me, I will walk out of that restaurant and I can't claim uh, originality on that joke. Shout out Brett Childs. I don't know if you're listening to this podcast, you listen to a bunch of them, but he's the one who first told me that he's warned his family multiple times. Don't you dare sing that song to me. I will walk out of the restaurant. So happy birthday, Nick. Um, How are you doing today, bud?
1: I'm doing okay. I'd rather, I think, watch film and get all my work done. But uh, I have to entertain the girlfriend. She wants to take me out later, and I have to do it. So (laughs) Beforehand, we're going to get this podcast done, and I'm excited to dive into this
2: film. Not surprised at all to hear that you'd rather be breaking down game film and working than celebrating your birthday tonight, Nick. But I guess that's how it is, baby. And then, you know what? I can't blame you for that, you know? Screw it. Who wants to? There's more fun things to do, like watch Giants
1: football. (laughs) Right now with the Giants in the playoffs, yes. I mean this is my first time covering the team and they're actually right. in the playoffs. I'm super excited about That's what true. the New York Giants are doing. Very enthusiastic to break this down and then look forward to the Philadelphia game.
2: I understand. I totally understand. Let's talk about this game today. The Giants Vikings on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to break down the film shortly, but before we get into the film, we want to talk some big picture things as they relate to this game specifically. And this was a really interesting game in a lot of ways. It was a tendency breaking game for Wink Martindale defensive coordinator. It was a matchup specific game plan from Wink Martindale. Here's the quick rundown of all the things he did differently than normal in this game. I actually just posted it to Twitter, so I'll just break it down a little bit. First of all, they blitz on just 22.5% of the plays. That is super low for a team that I believe were we one or two in blitz rate this year. We were one. Number one in blitz rate goes down to 22.5%. Middle of the field open, 65%. That just means split safeties on 65%. Obviously, you know the Giants have been a team that likes to keep that middle of the field closed with one safety, single high, a lot of cover one. In this game, 65% of the snaps were not in cover one. 65% of the snaps. It's actually a lot of quarters, but it was split safeties. They ran quarter personnel package, and that's seven defensive backs on the field, which is insane, by the way. You're thinking about it from a schematic standpoint. You have four defensive linemen on the field. Everyone else is defensive back. I don't know if that'll hold true throughout Martindale's tenure, if he gets better linebackers. But for now, that's the plan, at least for this game. And that was on 37.5% of the snaps, which was also a season high for the Giants. And then finally, on that fi- something that just stood out to me on that final drive and in relation to that last point, every single snap in that final defensive stand had seven defensive backs on the field. So just a really unique, interesting game plan from Wink Martindale. It wasn't perfect. Things didn't go great for this defense, but they came up big in big spots. And ultimately that played a big role in helping them win this football game.
1: It played a huge role. And I feel like just putting that umbrella over the top of the explosive passing attack of the Vikings while getting multiple sets of eyes on Justin Jefferson was one reason why the Giants stifled the Vikings throughout the majority of this game. I think Kevin O'Connell expected man coverage. He expected to see middle of the field closed. Now, we saw a lot of cover six in that first matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. We didn't see as much cover six. We didn't want to expose half the field to one safety responsibility. We saw a lot more quarters. So that means each deep player, each cornerback, both those safeties have a deep fourth. If it's a spot drop type of zone, a lot of match type of principles can go into quarters and palms types of coverages. I felt like the Giants deviating from the middle of the field close look was one reason why they had so much success. Like you said, man, Giants only ran cover one 10.7% of the time. They ran it twice on the last two plays. But throughout the season, the Giants ran cover one 29.2% of the snaps, which I believe was, I think, the second highest in the NFL. They ran quarters coverage 15.9%. In this game, they ran quarters 48.2%. Now that's not the personnel grouping. That's quarter. I know it can get a little bit confusing, but that's not the personnel grouping quarter is when you have seven defensive backs on the field or more, which yes, wink Martindale had more sometimes. I feel like (laughs) yes, he had eight defensive backs on the field with just O'Shane Zimenez, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Dexter Lawrence as the defensive lineman, non-defensive backs. And it was interesting, man, because when you look at how Kevin O'Connell adjusted, he did it on the first drive and then he did it at the top of the second half. They had success when they did this because if you're Kevin O'Connell and you're the Vikings, you want Wink Martindale to get the hell out of sub packages, force base personnel, get four linebackers out there, including two edge rushers. So two linebackers, two true linebackers, and then use your fullback, CJ Ham. his physicality, his presence out there is somewhat of a mismatch for the Giants because it gets them into a personnel grouping the Giants typically do not like to use. If it was up the Wink Martindale, he wouldn't put his base personnel package out there. But in the second half, after there were some adjustments, we saw Kevin O'Connell switch to 21 personnel with CJ Ham out there. Giants responded with base. So you have less defensive backs, less speed out there. And Kevin O'Connell schemed up a really nice post-wheel combo to Adam Thielen that created one of the, I think, three explosive plays that were hit by the Minnesota Vikings. And The way they did that was by forcing base out there and then putting both the wide receivers on one side and then the tight end and then CJ Ham acting as essentially a tight end on the other side, which kicked Gerard Davis over the top of the number two wide receiver, which was Adam Thielen. That completed for over 20 yards on a wheel route. That That was just an excellent designed play by Kevin O'Connell, but I felt like it was one of the best adjustments that O'Connell made throughout this entire game was just switching the personnel packages because it didn't seem like they were really anticipating the Giants to be so soft. And even though the Giants gave up some stuff on the ground, Dan, it wasn't all that much. And it was also because the Giants were really just allocating a lot of eyes, like say the nickel and the apex. They were really looking at Justin Jefferson if he was aligned outside or if he was aligned in the slot. So it seemed like the Giants had a lighter box to run into. Plus they were using a lot of quarter and a lot of lighter personnel packages.
2: Yeah, it was a really interesting chess match to see for the reasons you said. I mean, look, even when the Vikings went to 12 personnel, Kevin O'Connell's probably sitting there thinking like, "All right, we're in 12." Got two tight ends on the field. He's going to have to put those linebackers on the field, right? And no, wrong. He wasn't going to. He really didn't adjust. Much. Like, Wink Martindale had his mindset of what he's going to do. Finally, like you said, he had to, once they went to, uh, you know, a heavier personnel, t- at some point, you have to make an adjustment. And at that point, Kevin O'Connell, like you broke down, was able to kind of take advantage of it. And the personnel that the Giants have right now, when they're in, light, you know, heavier personnel packages on defense, which we know, we've went over all season. It's not good, obviously. I thought this was... I'll get your thoughts on it as we go through. I thought it was okay at best game from, uh, from Gerard Davis. That's not a player who I'm like looking at on this tape and being like, holy crap, we might've found another Isaiah Hodgins. Like this is like, no, as, like, I know why I understand why they gave him a chance to play over McFadden, for example, but, it's not It's not what I want yet. And there was, like, one really good play I liked. Like, and I'll, we'll go over it, and I'm just like, this is what I've been looking for from linebackers all year. Like, shoot that freaking gap and get your body in there and make a play on the – and he hit the legs of a ball carrier and he got tripped up. We'll go over it. But overall, not a great game, I didn't think. Jalen Smith actually thought it a better game and has been – a little bit better as of late, but yeah, I mean, that's the goal. The goal is to get those guys on the field if you're an opposing offense. And so I'll be really interested to see what Sirianni does with two weeks to prepare for this giant's defense. Like if he does go to that, because I'm very, very worried, Nick, about the the Eagles run game. Like you said, the giants kind of dare the Vikings to run the ball. And they're just like, screw it, run the ball. We'll give you all these light fronts. And like you said, given that context, the Vikings didn't really run the ball that well. They didn't run the ball that poorly, but they didn't run the ball that well in that context. Eagles, on the other hand, I, I don't know if that's going to work the same way.
1: I don't know if it's going to work, unfortunately, either. We'll have to wait and see. And even when the Giants were in cover one, there were so many eyes still on Justin Jefferson, Jefferson because yeah. that buzz defender, because the Giants aligned a lot in pre-snap cover two looks, and they executed a lot of, you know, or I should say too high shell looks, right? And there were times where they would transition to cover one. Julian Love would just buzz. Eyes directly on Justin Jefferson. If you're running inside, bro, we have you. And you're going to be inside out. Giants were trail over top inside out on 18 this entire game. And that's one reason why we didn't hear his name quite too often, especially in the second half. hundred percent.
2: A few more takeaways before we get to the film that I want to bring up. First one being the Giants don't win this game, in my opinion, without a Dory Jackson, Xavier McKinney on the field. Xavier McKinney, from the standpoint of just the, the communication, the difference in how that secondary ran with him and Love back there, and in addition to that, two really great coverage plays he made, the one on Jefferson over the middle and then the deep post to Jefferson, a Dory Jackson, similar. Like, look, we talked all last matchup against the Vikings on film. And then in the lead up of like, what killed the giants over and over was those post corner routes with Jefferson and just any of those outbreaking routes with Jefferson. When you have a Dory Jackson making those speed turns and like looking so smooth in coverage and transitioning you can't really hit the outs. And they didn't – Did the Vikings hit a single out outbreaking throw to Jefferson in this game, or any receiver, really. I think they might have hit one to Thielen, uh, not including, um, obviously, the wheel routes, but, like, just those outbreaking routes. And I'm not sure they did. And a testament – that's another testament to Adory Jackson. And then, finally, in this, I just feel like it's every game, man, but Dexter Lawrence, dude, it's just yeah. insane how good of a game he had in this game. And you look at it, and there were so many plays I saw on tape where I'm just like – He's pressuring the quarterback again and again and again. He's winning this matchup so fast against these offensive linemen. It's just, it's crazy to see. Those were the three things that really stood out to me.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, Xavier McKinney and Nidori Jackson make the biggest difference. Biggest Thank difference God, that you we're would here imagine on, on the back. end. you're going to see it consistently throughout this film. And in Dexter Lawrence, I mean, I don't know. We've been showering this guy with love all season. Every single bit of it is warranted because he's having a phenomenal year. All pro year. And honestly, it's not crazy to say he's the best defensive lineman in the league. I, I don't think that's crazy season, to say. He that. certainly is. Yeah, I think that's fair to say this season.
2: I, it's hard to then like compare edges and tackles, but like as far as interior goes, I think it's fair to say, especially with Donald having an injured season or whatever, but...
1: Bro, you know, he had two of his biggest plays in the game. At the end, on the final drive, this is a 345 pound interior defensive lineman playing more than 50 snaps in a playoff game. And he's making those types of plays with that type of energy and effort that late in the fourth quarter. And it's anomalous, anomalous, bro.
2: Nobody does that. Some of these too. it's like they don't show up in the box score, like the final play of the game where Cousins checks down to uh, Hawkinson over there on the right side. They don't show up in the box score, dude, but that was literally only a play the Giants could make because Dexter Lawrence got that pressure. Because if that if we have just a random defensive tackle in there and he's just not making moving that pocket at all, Cousins has the chance to survey back to the left. He does kind of have Osborne breaking in there and he's probably yes. going to hit that pass. Like it's probably just going to be a completion drive rolls on. We may lose that game. But because he had Dexter pushing down, pushing that pocket and collapsing it, he has to come quicker in his mind, at least he, has, he said it after the game. He's like, they asked him, why did you check down? Because obviously you knew that was going to be a question for Kirk. Yeah. And he's like, I'll be honest with you. I did not want to take a sack. To, I didn't want to lose the game on a fourth down sack. And he said with Dexter, he, I don't think he mentioned Dexter, but he's like, the, the pressure was coming in and I knew I had to get the ball out or is going to take a fourth down sack to lose a game. And I, he's like, I figured it's better to try to, you know, hit Hawkins in there. Maybe he can make a move in that one-on-one matchup. It's better than taking a sack. But if Dexter isn't there, he doesn't have to even worry about taking the sacks. He moves back to his left and hits Osborne. So, you know, it is what it is. But Dexter made such a big impact in this game again.
1: Gigantic impact. And that's been consistent the entire season. Let's roll it through now, Nick, and let's t- turn on the tape. We're going to start with a first drive of the game for the
2: Vikings. This was a... A fairly deflating drive for us as fans. It was a 12-play, 75-yard drive. A lot of quick game, a lot of quick hitting stuff. And it just felt like the the Vikings were able to do what they kind of wanted in this one. Giants start this game out already breaking a tendency with a quarters look here. You can see the split safeties before the snap there. That's what we mean by that. And Vikings take advantage of the leverage and just fire it over to Jefferson on a quick hitter uh, in breaker, but it's a good, uh, example, by the way, Nick, in my opinion, at least of what's to come. Cause you can see how fast Xavier McKinney, I believe who the safety is over there reacts to this and and has his eyes just the entire time on Jefferson.
1: Yeah, this is a great example. I think of things that are to come later in the game, but this is 11 personnel. The giants respond with nickel to start the game. So maybe they were expecting run. but you see shotgun 11 personnel against nickel. Look, a lot of the times later in the game when the Vikings are going to be in 11 personnel, they are not out there in a nickel package. <laughs> they are going to yeah. be out there in time or quarter.
2: Yeah, exactly. They're there. Like you said, there's going to be plays like that, that come up and we'll see it. Um, Second play right after that. It's another first and intense situation here. This is a great vision cut by Dalvin cook kind of, Flashes his ability here, just finds the cutback lane and picks up nine here. You could see Jihad Ward sets the edge pretty hard here. thought he had to play later in the game where he did a really good job of that. But you just got to give credit here to Dalvin Cook because I think this was excellent vision.
1: Great two cuts off the backside of a double Y set, 12 personnel giants remain in the nickel package. They bring Xavier McKinney down into the box and he flows hard to the original play side. And I think Dalvin Cook just does a really good job noticing that there's nothing to Jihad Ward's side that Dexter Lawrence is kind of bench pressing Garrett Bradbury. So he just does two jump cuts to get outside of Kayvon Thibodeau and then This ends up going for a nine-yard gain. And right now, you know, we're all watching this football game, and we're we're starting to be like, oh, geez, okay. You know, it's only first two plays, but it doesn't look great so far.
2: And here you have a second and one here. Look at this box. There's only really six Giants defender, maybe a seventh, if you include that guy coming off the edge in the box. And you could see from the end zone angle when they run this play, it looks like a massive hole is about to open up for Dalvin Cook to just exploit and rip into the secondary. And then you can see within a second of that hole looking so big, both Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams close that close that gap and make the play. Look, they convert the first down here with a two-yard gain on the second and one, but this is a really good individual play by both uh, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence.
1: Yep, back to the double Y set. Giants come out nickel. It's 12 personnel, and like you said, just great individual effort from both Lawrence and, and Lenny, man. Like, look at Lenny just split this double team and just toss Derisaw aside, falls to his knees, still makes his tackle, and then it's just insane how much strength you get from Dexter Lawrence. He just throws Garrett Bradbury to the ground. Remember when we were all worried about Garrett Bradbury kind of not worried, but we were like, oh, you know, that's, that's definitely going to be better than a third stringer. It was, but it didn't matter. Dexter Lawrence still had the game that he had.
2: I completely agree with that. And we'll see how that translates to Kelsey because Kelsey, unfortunately is like an insanely tough matchup. The toughest they'll get all year. Uh, from this point on, but anyway, it sets up a first and 10 here. Now the Vikings come out in 21 personnel. That means they bring on their fullback here. It's a little different than the giants, 21 personnel, which is pony. They use a fullback CJ ham here. And like Nick said a little bit earlier in the preview, what's that going to do? It's going to force the giants into their base defense here with heavier personnel package. And out of that base defense, the Vikings are going to run play action and they're going to find a 10 yard gain to Justin Jefferson.
1: And if you're looking on YouTube right now, you could see base. There's going to be three interior defensive linemen, essentially like a tight front. Only Leonard Williams is more outside, so it's not really tight. He's on the five technique spot over number 86 with the two edge rushers off their ass. And then they are two linebackers. The Giants are going to creep Julian Love down into the box. But this is the only time the Giants are going to respond with base personnel is when the Vikings transition to 21. And you could see that play action is right open over the middle of the field. We can see a little bit better on the sideline angle to Justin Jefferson. Just look like the safeties early on in this game, they weren't as quick to kind of identify the fact that Justin Jefferson was really, really good coming over the middle of the field, but that closes up pretty, pretty fast later on in the game. Now we have a first
2: and 10 situation here. Another 21 personnel look that means CJ Ham is on the field. Um and we're going to get Ward with a great play here, I thought Jihad Ward. And this was a play when you watch the from the end zone angle you kind of see how good of a play it was to fight off the tight end and tackle Dalvin Cook here. At first, it kind of feels like this could have been a big play for the Vikings in the run game when I watched it on film, Nick, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. But when Jihad Ward plays it that well, it's hard to make a play on this because if he gets washed down by that tight end or doesn't come off that block, this could have been a big play.
1: Yeah, I think Xavier McKinney would have filled and it probably wouldn't have been a huge game. But still, you don't even want to put your safety, your alley defender, your last right. line of defense in that type of situation. And I also felt like Jahad Ward might have got a little bit of a face mask here, which is it me? Or has that happened to Jahad Ward about 10 times this season? I think it was only called once, <laughs> but I'm not 100% certain if he actually got the face mask. It looks like it might be a little bit lower. But what, look at C.J. Ham though, how he picks up that play side linebacker, Gerard Davis to help spring what could have been a huge run. But like you said, Jihad war just did a really good job getting off Johnny Munt's block.
2: Yep. And that's going to set up a second and seven situation here. Once again, 21 personnel based from the giants, and you're going to get a really nice pressure here. If you're watching from the end zone angle from Dexter Lawrence, um, but the end result of this play is a 13 yard gain. Good, really good catch. I thought by Adam Thielen on a ball that kind of died on him. But I did think when I watched two things I noticed on this play, Nick, was one, what I said before, Dexter Lawrence, just watch him push, (laughs) go right in for that pressure. And then from the other angle, the sideline angle, I thought this was a good microcosm, at least to me, of what the Giants are doing to take away Justin Jefferson in this game. Just take a look. He's at the bottom of the screen. Take a look at the focus on Jefferson here. Look at how many white jerseys are around him.
1: Yeah, you have a Jackson who's going to play outside leverage on Justin Jefferson in a reduced set inside the numbers. He's going to fan outside to the bottom of the numbers, and then you have a Jackson's eyes go right to Jefferson. If Jefferson goes inside, or not a Jackson, I'm sorry, Xavier McKinney's eyes. If Jefferson goes inside, Xavier McKinney is going to assume that. Also, a Jackson has help over the top from Xavier McKinney, but... When you allocate that many players towards one superstar, that means someone's going to be one-on-one. And you can see how Xavier McKinney is taken off the spot because Jefferson, and that opens up the backside dig to Adam Thielen. Yes,
2: yeah, so that sets up a first down. Vikings staying in 21 here. Giants staying in base.
1: I'm just going to run a stick route to Jefferson for five yards. I'll a lot quick
2: game on this early drive. This will set up a second and
1: five. You can also see they're using tempo. The ref is just backing away. Giants are just getting set up. And also you see C.J. Ham basically operating as a tight end on the line of scrimmage with a single back formation. Justin Jefferson finds the space between the linebacker and a Dory Jackson. Quick, easy pass completion. Move the sticks.
2: It is cool to watch. I mean, this isn't like a great play from the defense, but it is. And it was evident on the last play as well when Jefferson ran that corner route. Just how smooth. Jackson move, even after the injury, how smooth he moves on the field, how quick his click and close is. It's just great to watch. You can tell
1: there's a difference watching him out there than any other cornerback they have. Oh, a hundred percent. We're going to see it all throughout the game too. And it's not even stuff like you said, that pops up on the box score, but it's so obvious when you're watching the all 22, just where he is relative to his assignment and how he's not really giving the wide receiver an ability to work into his blind spot because how smooth he is with his footwork and his positioning. Exactly. So that'll set up
2: here right after that play, an encroachment by Dexter Lawrence that we didn't have. So we're going to go to the next play after that. First and 10, we get our first design screen. Every team that plays the Giants is going to run at least one screen against them. There's literally no reason not to. They have not played them well all year. Um, But this one, I thought, at least I put in my notes, Nick. I'm curious to get your thought. I like the way Jalen Smith played this one, 54 here. I thought he did a good job of preventing this from being a much bigger play. Um, for the vikings as cook's kind of trying to let the block set up for himself but ultimately it does end up going for six yards
1: yeah absolutely i mean if you look at this point on youtube you stop it jalen smith has 67 kind of working in his direction so he has to kind of set to the inside to force dalvin cook back outside but 67's kicking out that outside block. So now it's going to behoove a jalen smith to get outside and locate dalvin cook that's not an easy task and he does and he ends up making the tackle yeah they gained six yards on this screen, but you're right. He stayed square, and he was patient, and then he made the play. Wasn't too overeager. didn't drink all the monsters before he uh, went into the tackle point, which we've seen several times from Jalen Smith. I think what you said at the top of the show was correct about Jalen Smith. He's playing pretty, I would say, solid overall football right now. Yeah, without a doubt.
2: And so here we have a first and ten set up here. Or I'm sorry, second and four set up here. They're going to run a little dive play for Dalvin Cook. And you're going to see playoff football here. Playoff intensity from Julian Love. Watch him fill this run and help stop it for a two-yard gain.
1: Yeah, Julian Love, he's been down in the box a lot this game so far. And you can see him sift through. Look at where his eyes are. His eyes are looking through this double-team block. And he's trying to find out exactly where Dalvin Cook is. And once Dalvin Cook presents himself, because Dalvin Cook does a really good job kind of making, that's a really nice jump cut, making Leonard Williams miss in the backfield. He just fills sticks and then a bunch of New York Giants white jerseys rally and tackle. And that sets up a third and two here.
2: They're going to actually go to 11 personnel for this one.
1: Um, You're going to use out of a bunch.
2: This was a cool play, I thought, from O'Connell Out of a bunch, he motions Justin Jefferson, which obviously is going to take a lot of uh, attention his way. And that just leaves this open, easy conversion here on a little out route for uh, Hawkinson.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the Vikings offensive coach who does a very good job. I feel like Kirk Cousins didn't play as bad as I think a lot of people are saying just because he didn't win the game, right? Wow, like people are saying Kirk... he played bad off of that, Nick? I think people are giving Kirk wow. Cousins shit because Cousins is Kirk cousins and he doesn't win the big game. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a narrative, but I felt like he played fine in this game, right? right? They didn't win, but that's going to happen. You got to give credit to the New York giants. Right. And Kevin O'Connell, I felt like other than the really, really just horrendous call that we're going (laughs) to go over on the next drive did a, a pretty damn good job calling offense. And I think this is a really good microcosm of that because you're right. You have Justin Jefferson outside now with Dory Jackson is going to follow him. That also tips to Kevin O'Connell that the giants are shadowing Justin Jefferson with a Dory Jackson right in man coverage but it also now you have a stack without a dory jackson in that area so what is it going to do it's going to open up that out route for tj hawkinson you just use kj osborne to remove darnay holmes how the hell is landon collins going to be able to work from the hash all the way to tj hawkinson towards the sidelines when you're rolling kirk cousins in that direction he's not right like that's a very difficult ask and you have darnay holmes who has to work through kj osborne to get there so that's just a really good play design in the red zone by kevin o'connell
2: Completely agree. And you're going to see a similar scenario on this next play that was originally true really as well, bro. So it's a really high leverage situation. And that I felt like he did really good in the high leverage situations, the fourth and two as well later in the game, which we'll go over. But now it sets up this first and goal situation. And it's like a similar scenario here, like great design by O'Connell. You get Jefferson moving in motion late on this play. And it's like, okay, well, how the hell is Adoree Jackson going to sift through all of those linebackers, those second level defenders to get over the top of this? Of course, he's not going to be able to. That's an impossible task. I actually thought Adoree Jackson did a really good job with catch up speed here to even make this play on this. Well, he has to go literally around those line the second level defenders through all that trash. So, either way, as good as a play as Adoree made on this, it's almost impossible to cover. Um, and Je- Jefferson almost scores on this. It's ultimately called back uh, at the one yard line.
1: It's called back, but you're 100% right. I felt like a Dory Jackson. The closing burst and the athletic ability is on full display with this specific play. And also just like how Kevin O'Connell uses 12 personnel here, and he aligns Irv Smith and then the other tight end that might be Munt, but it might be T.J. Hawkinson, whatever, on each side of the line of scrimmage just to force so many bodies into the box because they're not handing the football off to Dalvin Cook. So Now Dory Jackson has to sift through even more bodies in that area to get outside to the field to account for Justin Jefferson. And now we're going to set up right after that call back. We
2: set up a first and goal and we're just going to get an easy quarterback sneak touchdown here. These are just, again, really hard to stop until if the NFL decides to change these rules on it. Look, you got a guy the giants do this too. Every team does this. Now you just have a guy lined up behind the quarterback. He just pushes him in if he needs to. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't, but I don't really don't know how you're supposed to stop these plays. Nah, neither do I. That's really difficult, bro. <laughs> I feel like the NFL is going to have to do something about it. There's just no way to stop this shit, but, um, Anyway, touchdown Vikings. They go up 7-0 in this game. And the second drive comes up, and the Giants actually have their best drive of the game or one of their two best defensive series of the game. It's a three and out, which is always great to see, but it is aided, as Nick said a little bit earlier, by just arguably one of the dumbest play calls of the season by any coach. It's just, we'll go over it, but I just don't understand why you call it and even if you do call trick play there like why that's the like how is that to design <laughs> like how is that your design like they could have got the giants like if they designed a really cool trick play because the giants no one's expecting trick played bomb on third and one or trick play explosive play on third and one but that just wasn't it and we'll see it soon but it starts off here giants in a quarters look as you can see before the snap with those four defensive backs in uh where they're aligned and what are they going to do? Well, they're just going to tack the leverage here and throw a quick out to Jefferson, but you can see a Dory Jackson closes really fast on this. I think every other defensive back for the Giants would have allowed a little bit of yak here. Dory Jackson, zero yak.
1: Yeah, I felt like he was really smooth, kind of clicking and closing and just getting downhill onto Justin Jefferson's hip to make this tackle. This is also one of the plays where the Giants do send an extra rusher. You see five guys end up coming. Don't really get there because it's his quick game. That forces Jalen Smith at the top of the screen to go from the middle of the field outside to TJ Hawkinson, which isn't necessarily a uh, situation you want to be in, but that wasn't even looked at. And uh, this was the play that Kirk Cousins should have looked at even pre-snap. If you watch, you see, this is a field side stack from Osborne and Justin Jefferson. It's going to be difficult for a Jackson. If he goes into any sort of backpedal, which he's obviously going to do to kind of get downhill towards Justin Jefferson and just look at that too. It doesn't look like much when you, when you're watching it like this, but he is in that quarter turn and watch how he just sets his feet and then just smoothly he angles his hips already into a spot in a manner right. that justin Jeff- that's going to intercept justin jefferson's body essentially see that that's now justin jefferson looks up Dory jackson's right in his face that's that's solid technique right there from Dory jackson and it's very smooth
2: yeah I, th- I think you said that i broke that down really well because there's about five six yards of space before he makes that transition and then he closes it down and um, turns it into one yard really just one yard after the catch so just really good stuff there. Those are the type of things you don't see in the box score, but you can see when you're watching the tape. And it's the reason why people like Nick and I are so high on a player like a Dory because we watch the tape and that and it shows up often. So now we have a second and three here. They're good giant uh the Vikings are gonna try to run a little screen here to the boundary here. Um ultimately they throw this little pass to to Madison. And I thought this was one of the the better plays of the day that that went a little bit overlooked just because it was early in the game. And one of the best plays I've seen this season for
1: me from Jalen Smith, Jalen Smith and Darnay Holmes, look, Darnay Holmes, the the Vikings are going to run this same exact play later. And Darnay Holmes makes a gigantic play on Dalvin cook in space that helped force. I think it was the field goal attempt instead of the, uh, instead of the, uh, the, the touchdown that could have tied the football game up if, if I'm not mistaken, right? Because remember when Darnay Holmes came down and it was a minus four yard law lo- or was a four yard loss for the Vikings here, he does the same thing and he attacks Adam Thielen, Darnay Holmes, and then he sets outside, watch him set outside. You'll see it on the end zone angle. If our, if our homeboy actually does a good job, you know, <laughs> but that allows Jalen Smith to come down on Alexander Madison, who's getting boxed back to the inside. And you can see on the boundary side there's a screen design but kirk cousins through the flare instead and it's going to be on darnay holmes to really force him back inside to those pursuit defenders And darnay holmes does this so well look we chastise and lambast darnay holmes for all of his issues in coverage and how he gets grabby and things of that nature but in terms of operating near the line of scrimmage and sifting through these screens he's one of the better giants in that area and you can even see here he sets outside of giant in that area right <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And this is one huge play, like you said, that's going to be forgotten about, but it's going to happen later in the game as well. And that's going to prove to be gigantic in t- towards the efforts of the New York Giants winning.
2: You see a nice pressure there from Leonard Williams, too, from this uh, one where he gets a nice hit on on, on Cousins and Cousins. Looks looks like kind of like a little bit of uh a, a acting job here from Cousins. I didn't even notice this on the first time. Look at that. Oh, oh, my God. I'm so hurt. Give me that flag. <laughs> I, that flag I think you, flag.
1: you actually get the push, though, too. It.
2: Yeah, but like he just collapses. Like watch this collapse from him. That is not a hit that makes somebody collapse. I'm sorry.
1: I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> when William, a Williams is big strong guy. I don't trust <laughs> any
2: of these quarterbacks anymore. With this
1: stuff. <laughs> Got trust issues with these quarterbacks, man. I really do. Did you hear what
2: Joey Bosa said after the Chargers game?
1: I think I saw it tweeted. It was he was just I feel criticized so for
2: that dude. He's literally never gonna get another holding call called against him in his life. you just you can't do that you got to hold your tongue because you know these refs are spiteful weirdos and they're going to probably take it out on him the rest of the way i just have that's my guesstimation on the situation
1: but anyway what play was he referring to specifically i mean you Uh, blew a 27 wasn't it 27 nothing you blew that lead like i'm sorry nothing only brandon staley can blow that lead yes that's that's a brandon staley thing that's a specialty of the chargers it's literally why I bet the Jags. Because
2: I'm just like, I'm betting against Staley here. Yes, the Jags are the better quarterback. I mean, I'm sorry. Yes, the Chargers have the better quarterback and the better team, but they have the so much worse coach. And pretty Yeah, Doug, true.
1: Peterson. Doug
2: Peterson's a beast. Yes, he is. All right, now we have a third and one after this big play that we said was a big play for the reason we're about to find. On third and one, the Vikings decide, despite the fact that they've just matriculated up, up and down the field on their first drive, they're pretty much doing the same here. Let's run a trick play here. And I still can't figure out what the design is on this trick play. I think, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take. I think the design was to throw back to Cousins the entire time with no giant remaining in the area. And Cousins would then run for it for a while and slide. And they were like, hey, we drew this up. It'll be like a 25-yard gain. The safety will eventually work back, but he'll slide. Other people think it was designed to Jefferson to throw throw downfield to osborne and he adjusted by seeing that osborne wasn't open and the giants didn't play and played it well so he decided to throw back to cousins i don't believe that because i don't think there's any scenario where even if jefferson did think this play was busted up there was like a second like part of the play where it's like well worst case scenario let's throw back to Kirk cousins and he'll run it like i just think it was designed for cousins the entire time just such a bad play call. And it sucks because to say that because we're not knocking Kevin O'Connell. Like, this dude had a great game plan both games against the Giants, had a ton of things, tendency breakers against Wink-Martin. It's not a great calls overall situationally and, and game plan wise, but this was certainly not one of them.
1: I am just not sure what the hell he was thinking. I'm guessing he thought of Dory Jackson like he saw twice previously on the last Ah. drive. Follow Justin Jefferson, and then maybe Darnay Holmes would take K.J. Osborne. But even so, why get cute in such a high-leverage situation when you are having success with basically everything else that you're doing? Even the pitch back to Justin Jefferson, look, you have one yard that you need to gain, Dan. You pitch it back to Justin Jefferson, and now you have six yards you need to gain. Like It it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But as you said, man, I think Kevin O'Connell is a really bright young coach. I think the future is bright for him in Minnesota. But, man, I'm sure he wants this one back because this is just a dense, dunce move.
2: Yeah, it was a really bad move, and it could have cost them the game in a lot of ways because every possession mattered in a shootout like this 31-24. It was that type of game. 55 points on the board is a lot these days in the NFL. But... Great news for the Giants because they punted on the next play after Cousins lost a bunch of yards here. Um, Third drive, Giants starting to build a little bit of momentum here. It's a five-play, 22-yard drive that once again ends in a punt. So that's back-to-back series. The Giants had a nice two-series kind of run here where they forced punts. And this one was interesting because you had Justin Ellis on the field early on, and the Vikings went to 12 personnel. And it starts here with a double-wide boundary run for Dalvin Cook. I think you'll see Xavier McKinney's impact here a little bit. I think he does a good job of playing this run and making
0: sure it doesn't spring for anything bigger. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
1: Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports. From the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer Bet $100 win $100. Download BetWin, download the WinBet app now, or visit WYNNBet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at WinBet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play-through win bet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section and it was mountain spring water from the Alps and it was called liquid death and I thought to myself do I want to try this beverage that is named liquid death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles and they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution those are some pretty cool causes so I bought myself some liquid death and I enjoyed it. I was parched and then I drank it, so I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash big blue. That's liquiddeath.com slash big blue. I agree. And I think this was a, a drive where the Vikings saw that 97 wasn't on the field and they were like, all right, we're just going to run the football. And they had success. They got a four yard rush here, an 11 yard run. They had a seven yard rush a little bit later in the drive on a halfback draw. And it's because Dexter Lawrence isn't out there. He had a breather. So let's run the football. And you can see there's going to be some sort of impact due to that and this is just a, a well-blocked play and i feel like if you watch Xavier mckinney kind of coming downhill from his safety spot staying square staying square getting his eyes on the rush runner and then working outside because you have that contained defender 37 fabian moreau is going up against tj Hawkinson because this is a double y says and i have a tight end blocking a cornerback and i feel like fabian moreau is doing a solid job just elongating that path but then the cutback lane is there xavier mckinney is right there to fill though
2: yep great breakdown of how they were able to stop that from being a big one. Second and six the vikings find more success in the run game though on this one out of 12 personnel little hole opens up over the middle it's an 11 yard gain you can kind of see this in my opinion is i would say nick a, a solid microcosm of what i'm looking why i'm so like gung-ho about upgrading these linebackers dude like i know like it's not the easy whatever like it's not the easiest Job in the world to play linebacker, but it just looks so freaking easy for these offensive linemen to climb to the second level and just eliminate two linebackers on a play here. Just that—that's the type of thing. This is the type of place where I want a linebacker to be aggressive, beat that second level guy, and then get his body somewhere near the point of contact to make a stop, but hit the legs or something.
1: It's just—it just looks way too easy. It does look way too easy, and this is also some of the unsung—I feel like—effects that Dexter Lawrence has on the game. If that was Dexter Lawrence at the one technique, Garrett Bradbury engages him. And then he just closes that backside a gap, man, like absolutely eliminates it. And then the errors by these linebackers, if you want to call them that, because these all are just well-executed little combo blocks by 72 and 67, Ezra Cleveland and Ed Ingram. They just chip. Don't even do too much. Ezra Cleveland gets a solid, solid chip. I would say on Leonard Williams, And then the linebackers are just a little bit slow to kind of come downhill, and that just allows them to easily get picked up, puts the safeties in a little bit of a bind. Jalen Smith ends up making the tackle, but still, this is a seven-yard rush on first and 10. That's a negative play for the defense.
2: Yeah, I actually think it was an an 11-yard run on
1: the second and six, right? Oh, yes. This was an 11 yard run. That's my yep. a mistake. Next. Rush yeah, no, all good.
2: And, and I don't, and I agree with you. It's not like a mistake by the linebacker. It's just like, these are the types of plays where you want a linebacker to rise to the occasion here and make a play like, and not be so easily taken out of the play here, especially 57 here. I thought was really slow and then just got himself taken out of the play, but it is what it is. This is where we're at with the linebackers. Um, unfortunately there's there's no solution this is just this is what it is that's why this dude is playing seven defensive backs on the field for 37 of the snaps or what? at 35.7 of the snaps like unheard of numbers this is why so there you go first and ten situation this is actually a seven yard run by dalvin cook the vikings now leaning on the run game here i thought this was a pretty good powerful run by dalvin cook here you get the fake bubble screen to start i don't think that really fools anyone um but eventually jalen smith makes the tackle here but Ultimately, it's still a seven-yard gain.
1: I think Jalen Smith did an okay job, too. He's going to yeah. step towards the line of scrimmage, and he's just trying to get his eyes on exactly what the hell's going on. He sees that this guard is about to climb up to him, and he sees that, or he might have known that Gerard Davis wasn't going to be, or not Gerard Davis, because this is a different personnel. Now, Landon Collins was kind of blitzing. You see how this is going to be kind of a scrape-and-replace situation with Kayvon Thibodeau going inside of the double Y set and then Landon Collins kind of coming outside. So Jalen Smith knew that and he knew the only last line of defense now left was Xavier McKinney. So he positioned himself into that B gap and made this tackle. Seven yard gains still, but I felt like he at least, you can kind of see where he's coming from through his eyes, right? You see him kind of process what exactly is going down in front of him. And then he made the play a little bit late. It's actually a really
2: good play by 54, I think. I think the bigger interesting factor here is like watching those two defensive tackles get displaced here ellison and 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 williams and part of why williams is because he's you know slanting down that's part of the play call here but it's something you brought up a little bit earlier with dexter lawrence and the noticeable difference this giants defense has when he's off the field something i think about and i'll be like i'll be talking about this more in the offseason nick and we'll we'll be discussing it but i gotta be honest with you i'm gonna probably be in the minority here but i'll be interested in upgrading our interior defensive line this offseason now I have other ways of going about it. I don't need a first-round pick on one of these types of guys or anything like that. But to me, it's a much bigger need than anyone's talking about or anyone's really discussing or thinking about right now. The depth on the interior defensive line is bad. There was a couple of reps later in the game where Ryder Anderson is just, like, thrown off the right oh, off, off the, right of the line. It's, like, it's just like when you when you see that, when you see when Ellis is on the field and Ryder Anderson on the field and just how much noticeably worse they are as a defense, you think, like, if we just get some more depth there, that will make a bigger difference than, than I think – Is people are talking about right now
1: agreed and I also think Kavon Thibodeau gets just kind of blasted by the double team here put on the deck by the tackle that's a difficult task and you're also slanting inside you're trying to penetrate and and stop this rush but uh yeah Jalen Smith positions himself right there and I'm not I'm not really opposed to what you're saying about the interior defensive line we don't know what DJ Davidson is and honestly I don't really want to see Henry Mondo and, and Ryder Anderson out there for As many snaps as he played, or of course Justin Ellis. Like I like Justin Ellis because he's a veteran. He seems to be well respected. He knows the system. But you don't want to see him out there because things like this happen, man. Like he doesn't really add anything as a pass rusher, and he gets blown off the ball way too often completely agree and that
2: sets up a second and three i think you put it in the notes and you're so right about this one of the low-key luckiest best plays for the giants here because the vikings have a solution here irv smith in the flat and we just get a lucky drop here and then you know two plays later they punt that's twice two drives in a row that could have been scoring drives but stupid mistakes by the vikings prevented it here and this is just a flat out
1: drop by irv smith missed opportunities and irv smith slows down too like watch irv smith chips jihad ward good job releases and you're going to see him kind of like slow down a little bit and then he's like oh crap and then he drops it like he kind of slowed his route down just a tad bit and even so even if he didn't like this is still a very catchable play and this is one of those plays man like those forgotten plays that lead to victories for the new york giants this is one of them because if they convert here we don't know how this drive results in and (laughs) just look at the top of the screen with justin jefferson man the giants are just like you're not beating us Dory Jackson's impressed. He bails, assumes outside leverage, and then Xavier McKinney is right there to take the inside.
2: Exactly. And this is another example, like you just said, of the attention paid all game to Justin Jefferson. Third and three situation after this, Giants are able to get off the field here. You're going to see a situation here where a nice little twist call up front does free up some some of Leonard Williams to pressure and force Kirk Cousins out of the pocket. But overall, great job on the back end here in coverage, I thought, by the Giants defense.
1: You know, the Giants line a Jackson up on the line of scrimmage, similar to what Jair Alexander did in week 17. And he presses and then sets outside and just kind of fans outside just a little bit. Right. And just stays engaged. And you could see how the safety to that side is inside the hash. He has his eyes on what the hell is going on, too. But we'll see from the end zone angle how Leonard Williams gets his pressure off of the twist from Dexter Lawrence kind of being that penetrator. Yeah. You can see actually the penetrator is Leonard Williams. Initially he goes inside, he creates. So when we talk about the penetrator, the penetrator is a guy who's going to set the pick and watch on 99 sets the pick on 65. Who's engaged with Dexter Lawrence. He doesn't even know Leonard Williams is coming. The guards like, okay, Leonard Williams is my guy. I got to block him. So now Leonard Williams is occupying three offensive linemen and then Dexter Lawrence is going to loop around. So that's going to be Ed Ingram's responsibility. He's like, okay, I got to transition to Dexter Lawrence, but nobody assumes Leonard Williams. And that's what leads to this pressure might have led to the incomplete pass.
2: It did. And I also thought if Cousins processed this a little bit better, he did have TJ Hawkinson. and He's got to throw with anticipation, but Hawkinson wins this one-on-one, and Hawkinson's going to have a big play later on a stick and nod. But I thought he created a nice separation here. You just got to throw that football, in my opinion, if you're Kirk Cousins a little bit earlier.
1: That's not a design play, though. That's just Hawkinson extemporizing. I think at this moment, Hawkinson sees that the pressure is in, and he's like, okay, I'm going to cut it back. Oh, no, no, off. I'm
2: not talking about on the corner part of it. I'm talking about just with that initial inside-in release. Oh, okay. Yeah, right right there. there, Bang, just throw that right there, and that's complete. Yes, 100% agreed. But that's something that Cousins missed on this one, thankfully for us, because it's led to a punt here. And that'll take us to the fourth drive of the game. This one actually was not a great one for the Giants defense. It was an eight-play, 75-yard drive for a touchdown by the Vikings here. I believe this was the one right before halftime, if I'm not wrong. And so it's kind of like a situation where the Giants had a 17-7 lead, and I felt like if they could just stop the Vikings here. I, I, was, I was talking about with my brother. Shout out to my brother, by the way, and Kara, his girlfriend. We, I went over to Brooklyn to watch the game with them. One funny thing about that about that experience was we ordered in food, and it was like supposed to be like the best fried chicken in the area. And it was fantastic, let me just say this. But during the end, my brother didn't order it. He ordered Stop, which I told him was a terrible decision. Why would you order trash-quality chicken when you can have good-quality chicken? Um, and he, I ended up being right. He's like, this sucked. And he's like, I think it was just a bad wing stop location. I'm like, no, dude, it's, it's wing stop. It's not that good. Like it's trash wings. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just like trash frozen wings. But anyway, the funny part of it was, and shout out to them both for hosting us. It was a great day all around. We watched the arsenal game earlier in the day. Um, but the funniest part to me was both my brother and I had the same exact mannerism and tendency. We, we ordered the food and it was dinner time When the Giants game was playing And we couldn't eat it because we were just so nervous Like we weren't hungry at all Like the food <laughs> was just sitting there getting cold We took like a bite each Everyone else ate their dinner normally and fine But for some reason we just couldn't get ourselves to eat it Like I tried to eat it at commercial breaks And so did he But you're just so nervous There's so much energy You're just like you can't do it And so I just wanted to throw that out there Because I thought it was pretty funny I'm sure a lot of other Giants fans listening now Experience the same thing Like during a game like that you can't eat anything It doesn't matter what kind of spread you put out there What you cook Cook, all your plans for like a good dinner and a good meal for the game. It ain't happening during that game like that. Absolutely
1: not. I didn't eat yeah. anything. I never would eat during Giants games. I can't sit there uh, and eat. I'll I'll I typically don't eat breakfast until halftime of every Giant game, which isn't as late on the on the West Coast. Right. But I typically I'll wake up early, I get all my prep done, and then I'm not eating breakfast. I can't eat during a game, dude. My attention phew, dialed in Yeah. It's impossible.
2: Especially a game that matters like this one. You're just so nervous. But Next drive, it's an eight-play, 75-yard drive. Again, I was really hoping they could hold them to three here. That's why my original point was coming off, because that just gives you such an advantage. But the Vikings were able to put seven on the board here. It starts with a little zone run here, and the Giants play this one really well. One of the best run stops of the day for the Giants.
1: Yeah, 12 personnel, and the Giants are going to come out in their nickel package. And I think the linebackers do a very good job here. Now, Gerard Davis kind of gets bitched a little bit towards the end, but initially, watch how he presents his chest into that A-gap. And then you can see right as I pause it, Dalvin Cook is looking, he sees 57, he's like, all right, I'm going to bounce around. And then 54 is right there, puts his chest right into that A-gap. So now Dalvin Cook needs to cut back. He cuts back right into Leonard Williams, who was that backside defender just coming and shedding his blocker because Leonard Williams is an absolute beast. It's pretty good linebacking play to stop this shotgun zone run. You put this one up on Twitter,
2: I think, with a breakdown, Nick, or I saw it somewhere. Maybe it was the big blue page. I'm not exactly sure. But I thought you did a great job breaking down there. And then again, here, this is what you want from linebackers. This is exactly both present themselves in each gap. And that gives Dalvin cook nowhere to go. And by that point there, the, the play is blown dead. And that's the type of stuff where if we could just find more consistency with, with the linebackers we eventually put in there next year. They're going to be a much better defense overall.
1: And that's going to lead to the second and nine that we're going to show right here, but this mm-hmm. is a play where Garrett Bradbury's called for holding. You'll see it. He tackles Dexter Lawrence because Dexter Lawrence is Dexter Lawrence and the Giants actually declined the penalty. What did you you think of that? Both. I texted you literally right
2: away after it. We both Mm -hmm. disagreed with this decline and we both stand by it. I think you should always take the yards pretty much and I think if they put them in the second and 19 instead of the third and nine, they actually would have likely gotten off the field here but you'll never know. That's impossible to answer but I I think we both agreed that they should have taken the yards.
1: Yeah, it was a little odd. I'm not going to lie. A little bit odd. Giants did send a five-man pressure though on the second and nine. You can see Xavier McKinney step up. Dalvin Cook has to assume him. He doesn't really get great pressure, but we'll see from the end zone angle exactly what the hell Dexter Lawrence does. And then you could just see how Adore Jackson has that smooth speed turn. This is what we're talking about. The bottom of the screen, you have that stack, right? Adore Jackson's off the line of scrimmage, outside leverage, and he's going to fan. He's in a zone type of turn and watch how he just turns. He turns. He's not going to allow Justin Jefferson to get into that blind spot. That's so smooth from a footwork standpoint. And just a, I would say, poise and patience. There's no, there's no fright in Nadori Jackson right there going up against one of the best wide receivers. That's so smooth, dude.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what you, this is
1: look at that. Wow. There's
2: just no where there's no space between him and, and the receiver after he makes that speed turn. That's, that's good stuff. You just a little look, steps,
1: man. like the little steps, like yeah, they it's don't a lack of wasted movement. It's a lack of wasted movement, but it's also like, look, Justin Jefferson is going to attempt to work into this blind spot. You can see like how he's stepping to the outside yeah. right there and watch how a Jackson matches it every single time. And then once he goes into the turn Dory Jackson's like, all right, I'm just going to smoothly transition. I'm right on top of you, dude. That is excellent. Cornerback play, excellent execution from a technique standpoint in terms of his lower body mechanics from a Jackson.
2: And to be fair, like I'm not trying to knock the dudes, but we just watched this Viking game a few weeks ago on Christmas Eve. And sorry to say, but Fabian Moreau and Nick McLeod weren't doing that. And they're not really able to do that from an athletic, I'm sorry, an athletic standpoint. So you can really see the difference in cornerback play. And it's it's a position that you and I are very high on in general in the NFL, Nick. And in this specific defensive system, we're even higher on it. If there's a first round cornerback we like, we probably will have him atop our draft board. It's it's early to say, it's too early to say, but I know that I can already tell that. And just it's, it's a good example of like what you can have when you have cornerbacks who can play play receivers like that on routes like that, you can see the difference. Like there's just nowhere to go with the football for cousins on where he wants to go with it to Justin Jefferson there.
1: Dory Jackson is such a difference maker, but dude, I'm smiling over here and I'm kind of laughing. Watch the ref to the top right portion of the screen if you're watching on YouTube and how how much authority he throws this flag with once Dexter Lawrence is tackled. It's like screw you. Like he just whips yeah. that thing in there, dude. He looks like he he was throwing that with authority, man. He wanted everyone to know like that is a penalty.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he just literally tackled a dude here. It's just insane watching Dexter Lawrence. How does this show up? Like 15 times a game, he has plays like this. It's just, it's 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 crazy to me. Um, he just wasn't doing that earlier in his career, which is the weirdest part to me.
1: Dude, he has the ability to generate pressure like an elite edge rusher, only he does it on the right. inside. And we always talk about the importance of like, look, this is a quarterback driven league. You have to get them off their platform and you have to create interior pressure. When you have edge rushers like Kayvon Thibodeau, who's only going to get better, who's going to grow, hopefully, right? And Aziz Ojolari, when he's healthy, those edge rushers can create a lot of pressure on the edge. When you have Dexter Lawrence coming through the A-gap, that is giving nightmares to these opposing quarterbacks. man. I absolutely love this dude. And I love the fact that they picked up his fifth year option and that he's more than likely going to be a giant for years to come.
2: Yeah, he'll be a giant for 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 a long time. They're not gonna let him go out. And it is a good example. Like it there's two things at play here, um, just from an overall standpoint. One, kudos to Dave Gettleman. He took him at seventeenth overall. He was right about him. It took him a little while to become the player he is, but now he that he is that player and he's still so young, he's going to be I don't think there's any gonna be any kind of drop off. But it also goes goes to what we always said like when we would past years when we criticized that pick and when we criticized the Leonard Williams trade because of, because of what they gave up for an impending free agent it was always the same thing it was like if he was going to play like this there never would have been criticism what we wanted was we just valued so highly the defensive tackles, the interior guys who can get pressure on a consistent basis versus the guys who are great against the run, but maybe can't get pressure on a consistent basis. Now he's both. Now he's great against the run and he's getting that consistent pressure on a consistent basis. So kudos to Gentleman because he always knew that would happen. But when we, when we, when he wasn't like, in the past, we've seen all the tape. Yeah, there were examples of him having reps like that one for sure, but they were nowhere near as consistent as they've been on a weekly basis, not even close.
1: It was coaching too. It was alignment, yep. right? And I You're liked. Right how the previous coaching staff would use him as the four-eye when they were in base and they were in tight because it was such a bitch to block that guy if you're a guard in the running game. But we didn't see nearly enough Dexter Lawrence over the nose or as a one-shade in passing situations. And I think that's one of the worst things that Patrick Graham, who we respect, did. Now this coaching staff comes in and they're like, all right, you are a one, you are a nose. We're going to put you there. And then Andre Patterson came in and he was like, dude, I've coached some great defensive linemen. Dexter Lawrence, you could be that. Use your length, trust your technique. And then we just see him use his length combine with that power. And then I really think he's just I think grown, I would say, and developed a a much more efficient way to use his hands. I don't think he was wild last year. I think he was solid with his hand usage, but this season it's so quick, man! How he lands that swim move and gets to the half man—it's it, it's so effective, and it's just like he's that. really just like like who?
2: No, I was just saying it's just like that. It it happens so oh, fast oh. when you're watching the film. I you said like you just like-, like Jack. I was like, no, oh, no, like- <laughs> Jack with the swim moves using his hands. No, but you're right. It is. There's been so much of an evolution in his game, in my opinion. And it's not mm-hmm. my opinion. It's the obvious if you watch the tape. And that's that's kudos, though, still to Dave Gettleman. I got to give him his props when it's yeah. due. Um, the,
1: the whole Dave Gettleman thing, because I see it on Twitter, people are like, oh, it's like, dude, you can give Dave Gettleman credit for drafting some of the players that he selected who are turning into stars while also criticizing some of the mistakes, the many mistakes that he made in terms of allocating money to to uh, free agents that did not pan out, right? Like I think those yeah. two things can certainly coexist. Look, Dave Gettleman didn't do the best job as a general manager, but he does deserve credit for the tr- selection specifically of Dexter Lawrence and Xavier McKinney, who weren't top Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, But with all that
2: said, you just have to make sure you consider the context. The context is no GM over his, the span of those four years had more draft capital than he had the most by far. The other context is, you know, you should hit on top six picks. Andrew Thomas, fourth overall, Daniel Jones. big Julian overall. loved one too. We should probably throw in there too. Yeah. That's a good solid pick, but I don't, you yeah. know, that's not a defining pick for me. I think there's a lot of Julian loves on a lot of different rosters. Dexter mm-hmm. Lawrence at 17 is a, is a, is the pick for me. That's the one where it's 16 teams passed on him and he's one of the best players in the NFL. Um, but you have to keep that context in mind. These are top six picks when it comes to you know Thomas Jones Barkley, for example. You shouldn't miss on top six picks, it's not that good of a thing when you hit on it, in my opinion, at least quarterback being the exception, which is why I mentioned him in the per- previous before. But also, you ought to keep in context that he had total bust picks too in the first round, right? Like, first of all, he never really hit a day two or day three pick, those are all basically busts besides Xavier McKinney. But then he also threw out two first round picks. Who'd you say, Julian Love, too? Yeah, yeah. And Julian love, but other than that, that's four draft classes and we can only really name a couple names there. But other than that, you also have Kadarius Tony, a total bust of a first round pick and um, Deandre Baker, a total bust of a first round pick, which you also then use a third and fourth round pick to trade up to get. So these are just insanely bad moves right there. In addition to the lack of two, three day hits. So it has to all be put in context. In addition to obviously what he did to show Shane this year with the salary cap, right? Like if we had James Bradbury, what, what would we look like if we were able to do what you said on yesterday's podcast, Resign Evan Ingram to a one year, 11 million dollar deal because we just had so much cap space like we should have had. What would this team look like? And will we have a better chance to win the Super Bowl right now with those players in the roster? The answer is yes, definitively yes. And so that has to be factored in as well.
0: A
1: hundred percent. You're not wrong at all. And I think a lot of those moves, and we're not turning this into a Dave Gettleman podcast, but looking back on it, hindsight's always 20, but a lot of those moves were made out of desperation. They were made to compete in the immediate and they didn't have the right. long-term view in mind. And that's why the New York giants were put into this position where Joe Shane was kind of hamstrung and he had to sign a bunch of guys that it's really amazing to think this coaching staff is getting the most out of. And that kind of brings me back to one of the primary reasons why I believe, and a lot of people believe. Brian Dable is the coach of the year. It was that situation and how he's maximizing all of these talents. And I really think Mike Kafka and wink Martindale also deserve the tip. They don't get awards, but they're also doing a great job coordinating their units and Joe Shane. Look, he's not going to win executive of the year, but he should certainly be in the conversation.
2: Agreed entirely. When you get hamstrung the way he was hamstrung with that, with the roster and then the cap space they had. And the injuries they had. It's he should be in the conversation. Context is important there as well. So he won't win it, I don't think. But I, I agree with you on that. But let's get back into the game. I don't know how we, we it's fine. Sometimes look, there's a lot to talk about with the Giants right now. So it's fine to go off track a little bit. So I think right here we're on a second and nine situation here after that hold. Or no, that we're rerunning the hold on on um
1: so it's gonna be a third and nine situation. Yeah, third and nine after the decline. Because yeah, they I'm denied
2: sorry. the decline. Yep. And so third and nine here. This is the first look that that Nick referenced earlier. Count them up: eight defensive backs on the field. <laughs> it's just wild to me to see a coordinator do that. Um, but he's got an eight defensive back look. This one eventually is figured out by the Vikings. Here, um, they blow the coverage on Hawkinson, who leaks and releases. This is something that I've noticed has killed the Giants on tape all year on defense. These le- these uh, these chip and release situations. Usually it's the tight end. It just feels like based on how often the Giants are blitzing or the coverages they're playing in the back end, these guys are just kind of a lot of the time left completely uncounted for. I guess this is Jefferson's responsibility. I'm not exactly sure, but he, yeah, and it is his responsibility. Then Nick, you can confirm that. And he just doesn't do a great job with it.
1: Yeah, this is on Tony Jefferson. It's a blown coverage. Jason Pinnock is blitzing. Landon Collins looks like he is blitzing and has the assignment of Dalvin Cook. So that's what Landon Collins is doing. You can see that maybe a little bit better from the end zone copy, which I'll show in a second. But it's just on Tony Jefferson being a little bit late to realize exactly what TJ Hawkinson is doing over the middle of the field. I'm wondering if Tony Jefferson had any sort of if there was any sort of, not like a call, but maybe like a, um, something that he had in his mind to, to protect the middle of the field from Justin Jefferson, he's not really looking in that direction. You can see Justin Jefferson just has safety over the top. Xavier McKinney comes down into the middle of the field, just in case if he's running a post, you have a Dory Jackson to the outside kind of, um, bracketing that side of the field. So, you know, there's a lot of eyes over there, but I just don't really a hundred percent know why Tony Jefferson allowed TJ Hawkinson to. um uh, to go that way. Maybe it was supposed to be Landon Collins. That doesn't really make sense because Landon Collins has right. his eyes on Dalvin Cook, but it was just a blown coverage. And I, I think uh, that was one of the uh, few blown coverages in this game from the New York Giants.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then you're going to see it happen at times. It's just how how we are right now, where we're at right now. So now we have late, the first.
1: Late to react. I'm trying to like, because right here, his stripe is right on TJ. And that's when he sets his feet and goes, but TJ Hawkinson way too that good of an point, athlete. He's ready
2: in his break. Yeah
1: yeah, it's just, it's just, that's, that's who you look. He's looking in that direction even before the snap. So it's just a little bit odd that that happened. It
2: is odd, but that's, you know, let's be honest. Tony Jefferson's not likely in their long-term plans from a personnel standpoint anyway. So it's another situation of a guy they had to bring on because of, you know, because of some of the cuts they had to make and where they were at from a roster situation standpoint, but sets up a first and 10 here, 11 personnel. You get just a phenomenal play in the run game from Dexter Lawrence lined up right over the center, two yard loss here. This was awesome to see. Oh
1: yeah, Dexter Lawrence just be scared, Bradbury back. Look at Bradbury Bradbury after
2: the play, by the way, Nick.
1: Oh yeah, I'm sure he's going to be so dejected. Oh yeah, look at that. Pause that. Not not to revel in his in his (laughs) demise, but that's just that's that's what offensive linemen look like when they go (laughs) against Dexter Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah, It's just pure, oh, my God, what the hell am I doing? And that's, hey, Garrett Bradbury, you're a good football player. It's just Dexter Lawrence is an elite football player. This is a difficult block, too. He has to get around to the outside hip of Dexter Lawrence and create that seal block. And when you're going up against someone as strong as Dexter Lawrence, good luck on that type of play. And this is also, man, a a boundary open side run away from T.J. Hawkinson that they're attempting to do, and you're asking your center to make that block. It's not the easiest assignment.
2: No, not easy at all. And the Giants are able to to turn this into a negative play, which sets up a second and twelve. Finally, the Giants get themselves in a good spot. Um, but you I don't know, what,
1: uh, Eric, before you before you go, Dan, I'm sorry to cut you off, and I'm just yep, wondering more. this. I'm wondering if the Vikings did not have Garrett Bradbury, how much their game plan would have changed because they probably would not have asked that backup third string center to make that type of block. Right. And when Garrett Bradbury was asked to make those types of blocks, he failed a lot of the time. Yep. So I'm wondering if they would have had a more efficient approach if they actually had the third string in there just because they would have avoided tasking their center with such a difficult responsibility.
2: That's that's a good point. They probably would have. It's, just, it's crazy to think that <laughs> they think that Bradbury can execute that and they don't think the backup can. But reality is against Dexter Lawrence, no one really. I mean, Jason Kelsey <laughs> might be able to. That's probably about right. it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the old recruits of the world, they're not exactly in the NFL. We've seen guys like Ryan Kelly, who's perceived, and I don't watch a ton of Colts film, who's perceived as one of the better centers in the league, just lose miserably to Dexter Lawrence. It's not just the Chris Mustafas. Kelsey was basically the only center who's done
2: well against Dexter Lawrence.
1: And it's funny too, because I remember watching tape from like when we first started this podcast, Kelsey really struggled against Dalton homilands. And that was a player that I felt like gave Kelsey a lot of trouble. So I'm interested to see how Kelsey does in this high leverage spot coming up against extra points.
2: It's going to be one of the biggest matchups of the game, but here we have a second and 12 situation here, quarters coverage. Look from the giants, as you can see at the top of the screen, if you're watching and you just get a phenomenal, phenomenal route run by TJ Hawkins in here, a stick and nod. And you also have, in addition to that great anticipatory throw by Kirk Cousins under pressure. I thought this was one of the best plays of the game from Cousins and obviously a great route by TJ Hawkinson.
1: Great route by TJ Hawkinson and a great play call from Kevin O'Connell. Look, the Giants are going to run so many split safety looks, quarter type of coverage, a lot of quarters coverage when it's match principled. They have that safety, read the release of the number two receiver. The number two receiver is TJ Hawkinson. This is an empty set to the field side, the number two receiver is TJ Hawkinson. So with a stick and nod route, you're going to run up the field and then you're going to fake like you're going out. So if you're that safety reading TJ Hawkinson in that specific coverage, you're going to be like, okay, he's going out. That's not my responsibility anymore. And that's exactly kind of what happens. It looks like it also looks like Julian Love might be just fading towards Justin Jefferson's side, but you can see how Darnay Holmes gets his eyes back on Kirk Cousins. Doesn't even feel the fact that there's going to be a nod coming, which means he's going to break over the middle of the field in the post. And you're right, man. Kirk Cousins is getting hit by Tony Jefferson on this twist blitz. I really like the design. We'll go over that in a second. Gets hit, but he fires it and he's wide open. TJ Hawkins and just Darnay Holmes was a little bit out of position and didn't anticipate it because he was looking at the quarterback.
2: Yep. And that's going to set up a first and ten situation. Let's look at, let's look
1: at the twist real quick as well for the YouTube audience. You can see giants have a lot of defensive backs out there. You don't see one linebacker on the field and watch Tony Jefferson originally aligned in the B gap. He's just going to loop right around both of the slanting defensive linemen to get that free rush in on Kirk Cousins. Got to love good scheming by Wink Martindale.
2: Really good scheming, and it's an immediate pressure. It's just a really good play by Cousins to not only slide to his to his uh left to reset the the pocket for him and reset his passing lane, but then throw the anticipation. Uh, but here you have right after it a first and ten situation. Giants come out with quarter look. A lot of defensive backs on the field. Vikings take advantage here by running uh, with Dalvin Cook, and he picks up six yards.
1: Cave on and plays this pretty well, but it's also just a good run by Cook. Yeah, he gets off TJ Hawkinson's block pretty quickly and he gets to the hip and is able to kind of make Dalvin Cook stomach. You know, Dalvin Cook's balance ends up being a really huge part of this football game, as we'll see yeah. a little bit later, <laughs> a little bit later yeah, on. I but the, I know the
2: play you're talking about.
1: Solid play, though, from Kayvon Thibodeau. Still, like you said, six-yard game, though.
2: Second and four after that. Quick game action here from the Vikings out of 11. You're going to see a quick slant from a door uh, against Dory Jackson with Justin Jefferson. This is like, with well, a receiver, like... Justin Jefferson, who some believe is the best in the NFL, and he very well maybe. I just don't think this is possible for any corner to cover. Just look at his release off the line of scrimmage. That's what I focused on on this play, Nick. I just think it's so fun. filthy right there.
1: I mean, Adoree's right in his hip pocket. It's not like Adoree Jackson is really, you know, he That's takes that one that even with that, that one. He that one key step, you see. And that, then yeah. it's not like he really opens his hips. He already knows, okay, he's going inside and then he's right on top of it. This is just Kirk cousins and Justin Jefferson have such excellent timing and rhythm. And the second defender, the apex defender is watching TJ Hawkinson and he kind of matches him. So there's a throwing window and it's just kind of a bang, bang play, but Doy Jackson's right there on top of it. Right? Yeah, he is. It's just, an it, impossible
2: play to stop. I think with this connection from that, from that quarter, That receiver and that release off the line of scrimmage from Jefferson with that step. So is what it is. Creates a first down situation, first and goal. And here's the touchdown to KJ Osborne. You're gonna see a little mesh over the middle. Jared Gerard Davis doesn't really play it all that well.
1: Nah, the Red Sea is certainly part on this one. And this is just a mesh where Gerard Davis sees TJ Hawkinson and then he feels Adam Thielen, but he should be passing Adam Thielen over to Fabian Moreau, but instead he sticks with there. Yeah, nobody's yeah, on he gotta him. got to pass Dave, that off. Got to pass that off. Xavier McKinney is way too far off. He's not going to come down there. Like he doesn't know that Gerard right, Davis is going right. to blow this coverage. So this is a, definitely a bad look for Gerard Davis. I'm wondering if Michael McFadden would have been in position because that's something that he certainly struggled with for much of the season. But a lot of his struggles are near the sideline when he's in pursuit. I'm wondering if he would actually have been in position for this specific play.
2: I think he might've been, I think his struggles, like you said, are more with lateral lateral quickness and, and speed. Um, And that's not an example, but you never know. And obviously I'm sure you could see Jared Davis at the end of that play, kind of look back toward the two yes. defensive backs in, the, in that area. There was some kind of miscommunication. I mean, that's kind of the deal you made with the devil, right? When you decided to start Jared Davis for the playoff game and make McFadden inactive, there was a chance there was going to be some communication breakdowns and things like that. And we saw it right there result in a touchdown.
1: It does. I thought that was a bold move. And I'm I'm not too. I don't disagree with it, but to even make the kid inactive, like okay, we're not even gonna dress you yeah. just in case yeah, that that's a bold yeah, part move. Part of it was weird. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure they
2: have their reasons for it, but I do kind of agree with you on that. It was a little weird to just make him inactive, at least have him in case of an injury or just in case, like your bold move to put Gerard Davis and didn't work out. Like you you know, like things were happening that were leading to big plays like that, but it just shows the uncertainty right now at linebacker. I mean, they're not even putting them on the field. They're running seven and eight defensive back looks. This is Wink Martindale. They will be upgrading this position in the offseason. I don't care what anyone wants or thinks. This, thankfully, enough people know they need to do it, and the Giants are one of those those people that know that. So we'll get an upgrade there. It can't. It's not going to continue to look like this.
1: It better but, not. <laughs> yeah, it
2: can't. It can. It's just you can't win. Like it's tough to win like this. You can. They've been able to, but it's tough. Um. Next drive is the fifth drive of the game. This one's after the this is the second half drive, their first one. It's an eight place, 75-yard touchdown drive for the Vikings here. Starts in a first and ten situation. Um, you've just got a weak side run here by Dalvin Cook. It's gonna be a seven-yard gain. I think you did a good job of pointing out in your notes, Nick. Um 57 does a pretty good job here, Gerard Davis, because he's displaced at the second level by the offensive lineman, but he's able to kind of recollect himself and get himself back in the mix to make a tackle and avoid and, and prevent Dalvin Cook from making a cutback.
1: It's a weak side run in 12 personnel too, double Y set to the to the boundary side. So they're running to the field side, trying to really abuse this B gap. And you can see how Ezra Cleveland gets a clean release up to Jalen Smith, but there's that cutback lane with Ed Ingram also getting a clean release up to Gerard Davis. And look, Julian Love is way deep there because the Giants are running so many split field coverages, and he would be that alley defender if Gerard Davis doesn't kind of recollect himself to make this tackle. So it's a pretty good play, despite the fact that uh, Ed Ingram was able to get hands on him by Gerard Davis.
2: Yep. And that's going to set up a second and three. Play that we is similar in some ways to stuff some of the stuff Kafka did earlier in the season, just a play action bootleg out of a double Y set designed to get the ball to Munt and Cousins gets rid of it really fast and beats the Giants here for a 12 yard gain.
1: Yeah, Johnny Munt, the third tight end here with Herb Smith having an impact and TJ Hawkinson, he makes his nice catch for 12 yards. Giants run a nickel blitz too on this play to the other side. You can see Nick McLeod, who's impressed right. over Justin Jefferson. And the Giants decided to blitz that side. And look, now it's going to be on, I think that's Julian Love by himself on Justin Jefferson. So you didn't see a lot of that in this game. John tried to get pressure and they get, I guess you could say they, they lost because of the tight end chip, even though it wasn't to the Justin Jefferson side. Gerard Davis also blitzes. as you can see.
2: Yeah, it was just a good play by cousins. I thought on this one for
1: sure. Um, but.
2: Next play is a first and ten after that little twelve yard gain. And the Giants don't respond with base despite the Vikings going to a 12 personnel look. They do that play they ran a little bit earlier with a fake pass, and then they run the ball to Cook. But Dexter Lawrence wasn't having any of this, and it's just a three yard gain.
1: Yeah, when they did that last time, it was Jelly on the field and now Jelly on the sideline. <laughs> Dexter Lawrence is like nah, son. He okay. just closes that man. That's that's what, that's, what would that's have would difference. have happened. This huge difference. And this is yeah. so consistent, too. You rarely see Dexter Lawrence in a single block, even on double teams, just get blocked out of his gap, leading to a huge run, right? Like that just doesn't happen with Lawrence sure. on the field.
2: Yep. You're exactly right about that. And that'll set up a second and seven, cover one look. They're bracketing Justin, Je- Justin Jefferson again. They don't want to let him beat them. And they're going to try the slant anyway to Justin Jefferson. And you could just see, this was one of the two plays in the game that really showed to me the difference having Xavier McKinney makes, just his ability to break on this throw, get his hand in there, textbook basically, that basically textbook coverage, because it's not a pass interference, tip it up, and almost allow his safety here, Julian Love, to make an interception. It was really close, dude. They came so close. I was was hoping this was going to be ruled in our favor, but I I think it was
1: ultimately the correct call to be incomplete. But I just
2: love this play from Xavier McKinney.
1: It's an excellent play from Xavier McKinney, and it's also the scheme. We're not going to allow 18 to beat us. So the Giants are in that quarters look pre-snap, and you're going to have kind of like a cover three rotation where you're not going to get Xavier McKinney to drop into a fourth. He's going to buzz down and watch where his eyes go, right to 18. If you're going to run a deep dig route, if you're going to run a, a some sort of horizontal cross, I'm right here. So Dory Jackson can play... Outside and off coverage, you know, preventing a big play and also preventing any kind of comeback route or anything to the outside because you have Xavier McKinney, you have that help. And watch the transition. Just transitions, and then Xavier McKinney's like, okay, he's coming inside. Let me flash my eyes. Kirk Cousins is already rearing back. Xavier McKinney's in a position to make the interception. I actually think this ball, not the best decision to throw it with McKinney there, but this ball is thrown to the outside portions away from McKinney. He gets his hand in there, but it's almost catchable, even though it would have been really, really difficult. Definitely shouldn't have been thrown, but I love seeing the secondary be that together in their coverages and how they pass routes off. That's excellent defense right there. And that's and this, another. And this system, that they don't even do this either. They don't even run quarter a lot. Dan.
2: Yeah, they don't run. You're right about that. They do not run those types of those coverages where you need the communication to be so good on the back end. But it's good to see that despite the fact they don't have a lot of reps with it, when they do run it, they are on the same page. And I think a big part of that is having McKinney on the field.
1: And this is it looks I think I said cover three match before. I think this is more of a cover one buzz. But like it seems like this is a zone technique to the Justin Jefferson side. So it's just like a bracket type of coverage on that side. But you can see there's man coverage on the opposite side of the field, which a lot of defenses do.
2: And that's going to set up a third and seven. Good opportunity for the Giants to get off the field, but they're unable to in this situation here. You got a great rep here from one of their best players, Dexter Lawrence, but... Ultimately, uh, the Vikings are able to hit this, the in breakings, uh, outside slant to Hawkinson versus Landon Collins in a one-on-one matchup. And I thought it was interesting, Nick, this is a bigger picture thing, but later in the game you saw, especially on that final drive, uh, and the one before it, they, they changed what they wanted to do. Like they end, ultimately ended up having McKinney matchup against Hawkinson for those key plays, because I think they adjusted to the fact that, you know, this wasn't a great matchup for them with Hawkinson against Landon Collins.
1: Absolutely. I th- thought that was a really, really wise thing to do on that last drive. And we talk a lot about how Mike Kafka uses these stacks, right? This is to the field side, but still watch the release of the outside receiver, TJ Hawkinson. He follows right underneath Adam Thielen. He's going right, right. mirroring Adam Thielen. That's going to force Landon Collins to work over the top, just in case that's an out route, which we saw in the red zone on that first drive. But instead, it's just opening up space to the middle of the field where Dory Jackson, who's in the slot, is going to be cleared out by Justin Jefferson with the help over the top. That's just excellent scheming. Tip of the cap to Kevin O'Connell right there. And we can watch the end zone angle just to see Dexter Lawrence run through Ezra (sighs) Cleveland. And this, I mean, this is a great individual rep, but at the same time, I know there's a lot of offensive line guys that would be like, look at the feet and the feet get tangled up Bradbury kind of trips right Cleveland which is one reason why this actually happened this dominating looking
2: yeah and something about your point before it's like when you break it down like that Nick and when I watch it on the film I do think that these teams that are not running what you just said like bunch and stacked receivers and are just because there still are teams that are running like the one the two outside boundary guys and the slot guy lined up like five yards off of him in the middle they're it's, I really do think it puts them at a massive disadvantage. It makes it so much easier to cover. This is a lot harder to cover. Like you said, Landon Collins has, has a tough responsibility here when, when Hawkinson runs right underneath Thielen here because he has to respect the out. And on an inbreaker, he has to work over, like he has to work through traffic to get to the inbreaker. And he's at a massive disadvantage here. So I just feel like generally speaking, NFL terms and offensive terms, like the teams that are running the more traditional offenses these days with just boundary guys and then the slot guy, it makes it much easier to defend.
1: Much easier to defend. And when I mean Cliff Kingsbury is no longer a coach, if that's who you're referring to, right? No, but uh Garrett, Garrett too. (laughs) Garrett did a lot of that as well. Mike Mike Kafka abused the stacks right he's been abusing the stacks basically since the last minnesota game it's been a big part of this passing offense and when you're running against a man coverage look as we see right here it's very difficult for that defender to assume tj hawkinson you can banjo it up but you have to have really good communication and on certain routes it's not even great because darnay holmes is going to glue to that inside hip he would have to really like do some kind of crazy turn clamp down on tj hawkinson you know so it's it's just a run banjo there exactly yeah, it's hard to defend, man. It's hard to defend. That's why really smart offensive minds are using it. And if we go back, back to an
2: offense like the one we had with Garrett, where we're just not doing stuff like this often, and that uh, we're in a good spot right now with the coaching, we're lucky, but we were just in a really bad spot for like a long period of time. Yeah. So we need to be able to recognize sooner now, I think, as a franchise, because we recognized that watching the tape that Garrett was bad right, very early on. We wanted him gone within his first season, but Giants went back, they gave him another season. They use the argument that Daniel Jones needs continuity. By the way, we haven't brought that up, right, all year. But that's such a – remember, we were out on that argument from the beginning. Oh, no, this, this was a gentleman argument. i got to give the kid – hold on. You know, you got to give the kid uh, a chance here. you got to give him the same coordinator for one season in a row. He hasn't had that. You know, he went from Duke. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. this was just totally disproven before this, but now it was just ripped apart this year, right? Daniel Jones gets a brand-new offensive coordinator – And it's the best thing ever for his game. It completely changes everything that he is as a quarterback. So it's like, all right, enough of that argument. I think that needs to be retired for good at this point. The continuity one, just get good coaching. That's That's the focus here. Don't worry about the continuity factor. Get good coaches first and get good scheme first. And we need to be able to recognize as a franchise way faster than we did the last time with Jason Garrett.
1: Your Dave Gettleman just reminded me of like something from the 1920 film, The War. Right, I'm like nah you're, <laughs>
2: sure.
1: you're extra, sure. extra,
2: extra. Read all about it. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> you're don't know right. How to do a
1: Boston accent, so I just go to like an old. nah. No, your Boston accent's not there. I'm glad that you go to the <laughs> old guy part of it, yeah, I go which I respect. But uh, I think you're right. And look, I understood the continuity argument. In theory, it makes sense. But Does. when your offense is broken, continuity means shit. And I think right. we saw that right with Jason Garrett. And I think it was obvious. You're right about the good coaching. Good coaching isn't ubiquitous. But I think the Giants. Well, actually, I know the Giants have one right now. And I'm not just talking about Kafka and Wink because they could go this offseason. They could go knocking on wood. Hopefully it doesn't happen. But you've still got the foundation in place with Brian Dable. And I trust just by the staff that's been assembled, Dan, I trust that Brian Dable is going to find the right guy for the job. It's not going to be some sort of cronyism type of hire. It's going to be we see the same thing alike. And if we don't, we can talk it out. Right. And it's not going to be forcing square pegs into round holes, which I feel like has been the Giants offenses for quite a while now, like Brian Dable has been around bro. He's seen a ton of football right at college in the NFL. This isn't like a young up and coming coach. He's not old either. He's just been around football and he's seen so many different methods to success. So I have so much faith in this coaching staff, even if the Giants lose Kafka and, and Martindale, which would be you know horrendous, it'd be devastating. But I have a lot of faith in Dable to reinstitute the right people in place that can bring the Giants back to the playoffs. Yeah, I would agree with that as well.
2: All right, let's get back into the tape here. We just went over that third and seven conversion. Stack hard to defend. Now we have first and ten here, 21 personnel. Giants are going to respond with base this time. And this is one of the plays you mentioned earlier, Nick where uh, this is great job by Kevin O'Connell here. This little post wheel route frees up the wheel. And man, is that wheel open?
1: That wheel is really open. And you're like, oh, what is Jared Davis doing in space? Look, nobody wants to see Jared Davis in space. But when you come out in this in this formation, you have two guys in the backfield. So you got to worry about the run, right? And you have and those you two safety.
2: Look at the safety before the snap. He's like pointing to Davis, like, dude,
1: get the, get the hell out there. What are you, what's going on here? We can't just leave this guy wide open. But on Davis, Davis is like, bro, I can't cover a wide receiver in space. Like what the hell? Like that's a terrible spot for Gerard Davis to be in. But by switching to 21 personnel, Kevin O'Connell is forcing the Giants hand to match with base instead of nickel. And when you're, in base and you have three guys on the line of scrimmage and those two edge rushers, that's five guys allocated on the line of scrimmage. You just have two linebackers if you want to play split safety looks. So now it's Gerard Davis who has to assume that number two receiver. That's a terrible situation. I'd rather see Jalen Smith there, but even that would have been a terrible situation more than likely with that same end result. So Davis is just in a really tough spot and that's exactly what Kevin O'Connell wanted. He runs a post wheel with that little hezy route right there, a little hesitation and look how wide open he is. He is so wide open up the sideline, out of Thielen, yeah. and Thielen's pissed because he thought he should have been a touchdown.
2: Yeah, good. Actually, a pretty good job by Love to close this out and and prevent this from being a touchdown.
1: Yeah, lo- Love's a smart player, but that's just a that's a terrible situation for the Giants' defense to find themselves in base yep. personnel with Gerard Davis over your number two. And that's exactly how Kevin O'Connell exploited that thing pretty easily. So good job
2: by him. It's going to happen against good coordinators sometimes. So now you got a first and goal situation. 22 personnel here bring Ham back into the mix. And honestly, this is pretty damn well blocked by the Vikings here. Even Dexter Lawrence with a rare loss on a rep. This is basically like, I feel like we don't, we probably had like one to three times this season. We've even said he's lost a rep, but here he does lose this rep.
1: Yep, Ezra Cleveland gets the best of him. Help from Garrett Bradbury to stick him. And then you can see Dex's knee is on the ground. Ezra Cleveland just finishes him off. And Jalen Smith does a solid job kind of fighting off Garrett Bradbury. See right there, he stacks him, sheds him, but he kind of gets tripped up by Dexter Lawrence, and then he makes that hit. Dalvin Cook, very powerful run, because Jalen Smith kind of gets carried a little bit, but solid overall play from 54.
2: Yep. I agree with that. And that sets up a second and goal here. And you're just going to see a big miscommunication from the giants and ultimately three people in the area of Justin Jefferson and nobody in the area of Herb Smith for the these. Yeah. Touchdown. We're going to see
1: that right, right here. It's a uh, touchdown Herb Smith. Who's first healthy game back. You see all the Vikings are using tempo giants are scrambling and who's in the backfield. It's Justin Jefferson. You put Justin Jefferson in the backfield and then you use tempo. So the Giants have no way to get to their checks, right? They have no way to, to really know exactly what's going on. Who has, who, where's Adore Jackson going to align. And then Herb Smith just runs the corner and everybody takes Justin Jefferson because the Giants aren't on the same page. Yeah. And that's just going to happen sometimes when you face tempo, when you face a player
2: like Justin Jefferson, so many resources need to go in his direction there, but ultimately it's a play. The Giants definitely wish they
1: could have back. Oh, 100%. But, you know, sometimes it's going to happen. And like we said several times, Kevin O'Connell's a good offensive coach.
2: Yeah, he's a damn good coach. And so things like that happen against good coaches. We'll roll into the six drive here. This was a 12 play 56 yard drive that ended in a field goal. The Giants, again, got a little bit lucky here with that false start on third and one. I believe it was, um, which forced the the, the Vikings to decide to play a field goal. But at the same time, they also made a couple of really good plays here uh, on the series. So we'll start out with the first ten here. And you'll kind of see just the attention that Justin Jefferson gets here. Like this is a rare cover one look from the Giants with only a middle field closed uh, with, with a middle field closed look. And yet all the focus is on not letting Justin Jefferson beat him. So what happens? It does open up a little bit of a void in the middle of the field for Adam Thielen.
1: It's cover one. So instead of having Gerard Davis in man coverage, they're going to actually bring Julian Love down in the box and have him assume Johnny Munt, as you'll see on the play action rollout, 20 matches, 86. It's a bunch of defensive backs who are going to be in coverage, but morell kind of gets beat by Adam Thielen on this deep dig route a little bit, even though he's in solid coverage. That's solid, I'll say. Maybe adequate, but ends up being a first down.
2: Yep, and that leads to a first and ten situation. They go back into their twenty twenty, uh, sorry, their twenty two personnel with Ham on the field, and they're just going to run a little pitch out here. And I thought this was this was the play I was referencing earlier, by the way, Nick, or the, um, in the preview. This is the type of stuff I like to see from a linebacker here. Jared Davis. I like the way he played this, and I thought he did a good job preventing this from being a bigger run. You
1: know, the last play was 21 personnel, but now it's 22. So you have two linebackers. So it's a double Y set in I formation and the Giants come out in base. And you're right. Gerard Davis sheds Ezra Cleveland, gets outside to the numbers to just at least trip up Dalvin Cook. Right. and That's, that's all I, I want. Is- I just want making contact with these runners sometimes. And Kayvon Thibodeau, man, he's the edge rusher. He's just expanding outward, trying to contain, trying to contain. He has two blockers who are on him, and he works through. And I'm wondering if he was going to be able to make this tackle. Maybe not, because CJ Ham is there to kind of throw that block on him. But that just kind of goes to show that Gerard Davis actually, this is a pretty damn good rep, especially since he had to work through contact from from a blocker who got up there really, really quickly. Exactly. That's
2: a great rep from Davis. If you're looking for his best rep of the game, to me, this is that one. And he'll set up a... Second and six situation. They're still in 22 here. So very heavy personnel. They're going to
1: run a quick out, uh,
2: hitch here here to Justin Jefferson.
1: Yeah. And Adore Jackson's just right on top of him to make this tackle. Yeah. This is the
2: difference where you, I mean, you look at some of our past games without Jackson, we don't have corners who are coming up that fast
1: and making that tackle. Especially from that kind of depth, right? Yep. Yeah. He's off, but he realizes it really quick. Look how quick Adore Jackson clicks and close. What I mean by clicks is he's clicking right there, and then he's closing with and driving through the receiver to mitigate any kind of yak.
2: Exactly. Well said. And that'll set up a third and two situation here. Chance for the Giants to get off the field here, but they're ultimately unable to. I thought this was played pretty well by the Giants defense, and they got some pressure, but a
1: check down here is enough to get five That's yards in the first down. Yeah, yeah, Leonard Williams, man, and Dexter Lawrence. Yeah. Dexter Lawrence gets double teamed. That isolates, and this is why it's excellent to have both these guys. It isolates Leonard Williams in a one-on-one situation against Ed Ingram, and Leonard Williams just hits him with a violent swim move, and then contacts Cousins, but nobody accounted for Dalvin Cook in the flat. because Tony Jefferson yeah, kind of drops him a death.
2: Yep, and that's something we've—how often have we seen that, right? Like the, the chip and release guy just doesn't get accounted for, whether it's a tight end or a running back. That's something I think is schematic. I don't know if that's the play. Like,
1: I guess Jefferson, that's his assignment. Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, he has to drop the depth just in case there's any kind of crossing routes from Justin Jefferson or right. any of those other players. He's not going to play close to the line of scrimmage. That was a third and two, so it's hard to stop that if you're not going to get the pressure. Yeah. But this fair, is this is enough. such a good play. This is a first and ten. Giants come out nickel eleven personnel, and I'm watching this. The deep post to Justin Jefferson. We're watching it from this angle because watch the quarters look and just see how well Xavier McKinney plays. It should have been OPI on on Justin Jefferson, in my opinion. But that is just 100%. phenomenal technique. He just knows exactly no what's coming. He he works. Oh, It works right into the chest of Justin Jefferson doesn't contact him illegally or anything like that. He has every right for that football, just like Justin Jefferson does. Right. And you also have a Dory Jackson who is outside of him. This is, this is excellent nickel quarters in terms of coverage look right here. And I love the fact that we were able to see it from this angle. Good job to the guy that we just criticized last, uh, last night.
2: (laughs) Yeah. He played (laughs) that so freaking well. Talk about the camera
1: guy though. Oh,
2: the yeah, the alternate camera did a better job on the defensive film, uh, but yeah, that that's the type of play right there. If they're not Xavier McKinney on for this play, that that ain't happened That might even be a touchdown, dude. That's that's excellent technique from Xavier McKinney. This is like you, you said that like one, you said it. He has every right to that space. Like he cuts off Jefferson's route with his body, but he has every right. He beats him to that spot, and and
1: by the rule, he has every right to that spot. It's, it's insane how well-executed that is. Like This is why Xavier McKinney is a superstar, and he can be a superstar. He might not have the plays to back it up, but I think it's, it's well within his range of outcomes, similar to right. what we said about Dexter Lawrence in the past. Xavier McKinney has that same range of outcomes. It's just he needs to avoid going on ATVs and things like that. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so that was the first intent. It'll set up a second
2: intent situation here. And this was a really good play for the Giants. They run. They had a nice, well-timed run blitz here with Jalen Smith, who gets in, in there and makes a big, big stop and helps with
1: a few other players make a big stop for a loss of two. Set up a third and 13. Yeah, this is an excellent run blitz right to the B gap. Because look, right, man, like... Of loss,
2: three, my bad.
1: This is a half another halfback draw. You can see how Kirk Cousins acts like he's going to pass. Hand off. And it looks like Ed Ingram was going to do some kind of kick slide. To get to that hole but he contacts ezra cleveland because ryder anderson did a good job penetrating and no one ever was able to get to the b gap to take the blitzing jalen smith and that sets up a third and 13 this was a good spot for the giants to get off the field um and they kind of get what
2: they want here i guess ultimately here they you know they have a seven-man coverage here they're kind of rotating after the snap into a cover one type of look with one safety in the middle they got the the bracket safety with the robber it just it plays well, but ultimately I thought Cousins did a good job of just finding something that give them a chance to, if they want to go for a fourth and two, to convert a fourth and two. And it's 11 yards to Osborne.
1: I also just love this from Kevin O'Connell's perspective because focusing on Justin Jefferson's route, remember what we just went over right. a couple drives ago when Julian Love in a cover one look assumed that buzz robber type of role spying the inside portions of Justin Jefferson. Well, Justin Jefferson runs inside like he's going to run a post. And what happened the last time he did that? Adore Jackson kind of faded a little bit, right? Like kind of took the acceleration off and kind of faded away. This time, Adore Jackson kind of does that, but Kevin O'Connell tells Justin Jefferson to run back to the outside to kind of work into Adore Jackson's blind spot. He's open there for Justin Jefferson right. and Kirk Cousins. He's open. And that's a nice adjustment off of a cover, off the same play that we saw before where the giants ran cover one and they were taking away the inside portions of the field. So I just like that from an X's and O's standpoint, but you're right. KJ Osborne, man, that's a good, good adjustment by the kid over the middle of the field. Darnay Holmes, he's all over him. It's just a really nice play by Osborne too bad. A little bit later in the game, he doesn't really make that same type of play in a similar situation on a it on a little bit behind him.
2: And now that's going to set up a fourth and two situation where the Vikings. Opt to go for it instead of try to maybe punch or kick a field goal at the 45. We expect that to be a, a go for it situations, uh, and they're able to pull this one off here. It's a good play by the Vikings. The Giants are kind of playing heavy to Justin Jefferson quick hitting screen. That's what you expect there. And what do you do? You use the player T.J. Hawkinson, who is assumed to be blocking for this screen, and you just run him on kind of like a wheel route. And what's going to happen? He's wide open.
1: Yeah, this is the second time in the last two drives that the Giants were punished for overplaying Justin Jefferson. Because you can see Xavier McKinney, who's over the top of TJ Hawkinson. His eyes go to Justin Jefferson. He sees that, and he attempts to jump it for a pick six. That's what he's thinking. But it was all a ruse, and it was a wheel route. Julian Love, I feel like every game the Giants play the Vikings, Julian Love is killing TJ Hawkinson. Remember last game? Didn't he, like, submarine him? (laughs) Yes, he did. He submarined him. Now he's covering all the way from the middle of the field, man. He closes with quick and he just nails TJ Hawkinson. But still, man, this is a a nice conversion on a fourth and two, 18 yard gain. And then the Vikings are going to come back
2: and run a pass, a a quick hitting pass to Dalvin Cook here. And you get it. This is one of the plays you were mentioning before. Just an absolutely great read by Darnay Holmes on this screen, design screen to blow it up for a loss of
1: three. Darnay Holmes made so many low-key, huge plays in this game, and this is definitely one of them. He just read it, diagnosed it, and look, the Vikings like to use Dalvin Cook on screens when they're nearing the red zone, when they're in the red zone, and Darnay Holmes was right on top of it, man. Excellent, excellent job by him.
2: Excellent job by Darnay Holmes to set up a 2nd-and-13 situation here. And on the 2nd-and-13... Right after this big three-yard loss, you're going to get a twist up front from the Giants. They're they're guessing pass here. Um, and this was the play you referenced earlier, like one of those plays where it could have gone a little bit differently. J- Tony Jefferson spins Dalvin Cook around. And if Dalvin Cook regains his balance there, it's possible he maybe even houses this ball for a touchdown.
1: Instead, he cannot regain his balance, trips up, and it sets up a third and nine. I'm wondering, did anybody contact him after this, or was it because of the spinorama right there? I don't think he's contacted by any offensive lineman. He just loses his balance. And dude, that literally could be the difference in the game. It really could. Like just (laughs) Tony Jefferson's fingertips right there, spinning Dalvin Cook, and then him not being able to collect himself. Like I don't think a fully capable Dalvin Cook is getting tracked down by Leonard Williams. And when you watch it from this view, you can see there's offensive linemen in space and really no giants because the safety kind of takes a bad angle, a shallow angle coming down on this. And this could have easily went for six. It's a, it's a huge moment in the game. You see Pinnock take that angle. Like if Dalvin Cook maintains his balance, he has 71 running in space with TJ Hawkins in there. And the closest giant is Darnay Holmes and then a guy on the goal line with a wide receiver up in that direction. Like, ah, man, that's going to be tough, bro. So that's a, that's a huge stop by Tony Jefferson, even though he didn't really get the tackle. But I guess he kind of did.
2: Yep. I think he nailed that. And that sets up the third and nine situation where we're going to see the Vikings connect with Hawkinson on an eight yard little in breaker over the middle. I thought it was great tackling by the Giants at the end to kind of prevent him from getting that extra yard or two and converting the first down, which ultimately at the time didn't seem to be that big of a deal because set up a fourth and one the Vikings were going to go for. And I think they were going to convert it. But after that false start, it goes to fourth and six and they opt for the field goal and it ends up making a massive uh, difference in this game
1: huge false start by Christian Derisaw. And you're right. Who's in coverage right here on TJ Hawkinson. Who's in man That's Xavier McKinney. We're going to see that a little bit later on in the game too. Good strength by Tony Jefferson to force that tackle though. I didn't think he had it though either. Cause then initially they ruled right. that he had it on the field. I was like, I don't know. I want to see that again. And that, that's right. another thing that ended up going really well for the Giants. True. And
2: that one rightfully so I think, of Um course. and that's going to set up, The Giants then go right down, so it's 24-24. Giants score the touchdown right away, answer 31-24. And then on the seventh drive, they force a three-and-out. It was a really good series for the Giants here to get off the field. This was was probably their best series because they got them into third and long. And on the third and long, there really wasn't anywhere to go with the football either. So it'll start here with another great play by Darnay Holmes, who now has had two really game-changing plays on back-to-back series. They're going to try to run the flare. They think they have the numbers based on the pre-snap leverage, but Holmes does a great job to say, no, you don't have this. And not. I'm not going to get fooled by this and gets himself in the position to stop cook here for a loss of four.
1: You can see the screen, the boundary screen to Justin Jefferson. See the guys kick out, but Kirk cousins opts to throw the flare. Once again, Adam Dillon setting outside this time. Cause remember last time Darnay Holmes forced Dalvin Cook to cut back inside, right? So you see Adam Thielen sit inside. So Darnay Holmes, like, check that. I'm just going to undercut you. And he does. And he presents his chest right into Dalvin Cook. Like, it's just a great play from number 30.
2: Yeah. Unbelievable play from Holmes. Another unsung play by him. Second and 14. I love this call from Kevin O'Connell. You just ran a flare. Why not come back to something similar with a screen? I thought if Kayvon Thibodeau, we'll we'll talk about this play with Thibodeau because it's an incredible combination of mental processing and athleticism both need to be in play for him to be the one who makes the play after he literally is slanting to the inside on a pass rush, but reads it so well and processes so fast that he understands the screen. But if he doesn't process this fast and it's still just like rushing up field, I think that Cockinson will have time to let that block set up. And then he just cuts it inside plants and he's going to get the first down at minimum here. So
1: this is almost like a game changing play from Kayvon Thibodeau. It's one of those unsung plays, man. And I mean, we, we've kind of said unsung, I think, like three or four times. But there were plenty of plays like this in the game that, hey, if it just went a little bit differently, if one player did something so small that maybe we wouldn't even have – real like, we didn't even realize the first time we watched how important it was, like this Kayvon Thibodeau play. Right. It could have changed the entire outcome of the game. Like he presses into the guard, Kayvon Thibodeau. Like he's away from the play. Yeah. and He's able to realize exactly what the hell is going on because I think he reads how the center crosses his face. You can see how Garrett Bradbury crosses his face. I think you see how he turns his head. He's like, Oh, this is going to be a screen to that freaking tight end who's eligible. And look at that hustle from the guy who never hustled in college, apparently, man. Like he is just yeah. on <laughs> TJ Hawkinson. And you're right, dude, because Bradbury's going to get in a yeah, space. Pause he's right there.
2: Ball- Right. Like if it's just imagine five is not in this play here because he's still rushing the passer. Like you said, Bradbury's picking off that, that
1: giant's defender. Then what, like what's left to stop Hawkinson here? I don't know. Hawkinson, you can see he's under pressure because came on Thibodeau is right on his ass. Like that's right. just a great play from Gabe on Thibodeau and great hustle. And like you said, the mental process. And I want to see it from this angle to see, I think it might be like right there is where he's like, wait, why'd that center cross my, f- Oh, okay. That's what's going on here.
2: And it's so fast for him to turn around immediately and then go try to make the play. It's not like he's like thinking about it and pausing and being like, wait a second. He just knows he's, he's able to recognize that and understand it.
1: Exactly. And Tony Jefferson does a good job working to the outside shoulder to possibly force a cutback, but that never even happened because of Kayvon Thibodeau. Exactly. Yep. And there's the gritty. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
2: And so now it's a third and 11 situation here. Cover three look before the snap from the Giants, but there's also going to be a shade toward the Justin Jefferson side because it's Justin Jefferson, and you're just going to have great pressure from Dexter Lawrence here to force Kirk Cousins into just throwing this ball incomplete. There's just nothing open here. There's nowhere to go with the football. Just a phenomenal win for
1: the Giants defense all around. Everybody drops to a depth at the second level, and then you could see how Julian Love is just bailing from the outside the hash all the way to the other hash, just in case to, to play inside coverage on Justin Jefferson, who was being assumed by a Dory Jackson on the opposite side. You can see cousins thinks about throwing it that way, but he didn't love the fact that Julian love was over there giving inside help to a Dory Jackson. Let's watch Dexter Lawrence get some pressure as Dexter Lawrence is one to do. Just kind of bench presses Garrett Bradbury. And then Kirk cousins gets hit. Dalvin cook doesn't catch it. Exactly. And so that sets up
2: the eighth drive, the final drive of the game for the Vikings. The Giants make the stop. Obviously, it didn't start out great with that roughing the passer, but ultimately, they did a great job to bog down. So we're going to run through these final six plays. It's 39 yards with a turnover on downs. They started with just under three minutes on the clock. The first and 10 play here, is a really good play from Dane Belton here, who was in the game due to an injury to Jason Pinnock, had to be, you know, as a rookie who's getting the call late in the game, and he's able to stop this underneath throw for six yards. This is a quarters look, so that are keeping everything in front, but it still requires good tackling, good sound tackling, and that's what Belton gives them here.
1: Yeah, he's not in the quarters responsibility either. He's the middle hook defender just dropping, and he just stays right on top of TJ Hawkinson. Look, if you want to catch the football for a couple yards, I'm going to tackle you right away, and the rookie did that. Exactly. And that sets up a second and
2: four where we get the roughing the passer. We're not going to show that, but it was a roughing the passer. We don't need to show that we, we opted. You know, I had it up. I was going to send it to Nick to put up and I was just like, you know what? I don't want to see this atrocity again. It's just going to tilt me all over again because I got so angry watching that play because it obviously should have never been roughing the passer. And I am the type of person who, if the Vikings had gone down and scored, I would have been furious about that call for a long, long time. I hate game-changing calls by these stupid refs, these old-ass refs who can't see the game right. It's so fast. They're making mistakes all the time. That was one of them, and I'm happy it ultimately didn't end up mattering. But we'll fast-forward to this person: ten here. It's an empty stack. You get the slant to Hawkinson. This is just a good pitch and catch for 13 yards by the Vikings.
1: Yeah, very good pitching catch on for 13 yards. You can see how Hawkinson sets to the inside, works around with the drag route who just kind of sits against zone coverage, feels his own coverage just sit. TJ Hawkinson kind of crosses into that throwing window, and this is a contested catch because I felt like Darnay Holmes was in good position to knock the ball away, but TJ Hawkinson is a damn good tight end as Giant fans are finding out. This ends up going for a nice game.
2: Yep, and that sets up the next play here, which is a first and 10 situation. Um, you're going to have a looks like a cover one look with a four-man rush as the giants rotate to just that single high look and they try to check down here to dalvin cook this is one of the like i put out like my five or six biggest uh you know unsung hero plays of the game this one wasn't on it but when i rewatched the film nick i was like you know what i want to give it some give some props here to dane belton here because i thought he did a great job of closing here and i thought he did a great job of kind of understanding the space that he had right like toward the space that the runner or the receiver, I should say, Dalvin Cook here, had toward the sideline and what he wanted to do here. Dalvin Cook wants to cut this back to the middle of the field. And Dane Belton takes that away while fully understanding that even if he takes that away and leaves himself vulnerable toward the sideline, there's just not really enough space for Dalvin Cook to make that move and then still get up the sideline. That's basically exactly what happens, right? Like Cook uh, stabs towards the inside, Belton plays the inside, and then he goes outside and he does kind of beat Belton, but at the same time, at that point, he's too tight to the sideline and can't stay in bounds.
1: Yeah, that's a good execution from Dane Belton. You can see the athletic ability of Dalvin Cook, too, just how he kind of jukes inside and then is able to explode out of that break, but Belton's able to get enough of him to force him out of bounds. This is a middle of the field close, cover three type of look. You can see how Xavier McKinney buzzes down. Towards the Adam Thielen side, looking at T.J. Hawkinson, to see if T.J. Hawkinson is going to run anything, and then up top you have Justin Jefferson just against Dory Jackson with inside help from the curl flat if he's there, and then obviously the safety over the top flashing eyes in that direction.
2: Exactly, and so that's going to set up a second and ten situation here, and it's eleven. We're going to see a cover three look here. And you're just going to get a good example of like the impact that somebody like Dexter Lawrence makes on this game. His pressure here forces uh, Kirk Cousins to get rid of the football and to a spot that he doesn't probably want to go to KJ Osborne. And maybe he does want to go here, but maybe he wants to um, get this ball out a little bit faster. I don't know, but it's a great another great underrated play here by Cordell Flott in this game to get his hand in there and force the incompletion.
1: Yeah. Flott didn't play really at all in this entire game. And he's able to get on the football field and you could see how he's undercutting KJ Osborne there. This is a difficult play in man coverage to cover. This is cover one right here. And he has to assume that or attach, I should say to that hip. And you can see how he, I feel like that's good athletic ability just to close with there. Cause it looks like he's going to be a lot more separation than there was. And he's able to get kind of underneath and this throw, as we'll see in the end zone angle, Dan, it's not the best throw and it was catchable still. But I think a lot of credit deserves to go to Cordell Flott to just get his hand and disrupt the pass. I don't think this is a PBU per se, but it's just a disruption. Yeah, we'll see on- I think that's a fair way to say it. Like right, right there, and, and this ball, if it was put out maybe a little bit more, I think it was a But Trill. you see how Osborne has to slow up, and then it's a little bit behind. And it hits him in the chest, and then it just not secured because... Flock gets his hand in there, but I don't know if, if it if the ball ever hit Flock's hand. It, it kind of went high, but it's still the disruption that got it. I think he deserves a PBU. Freaking good yeah, job, give him, PBU. give him the PBU anyway. Give <laughs> him that PBU. And look at Dexter Lawrence yeah. just working against Ezra Cleveland, just yeah, working to the just, half man. Mm.
2: It impacts what it impacts the timing. And you're gonna see it on the fourth down play. We talked about it earlier.
1: I think we like missed the, last the second and ten too. So let's watch 10 that was
2: the cook, was the cook dump off.
1: Was the cook dump ball.
2: We might have missed the first and 10 here.
1: Okay. Yeah, we broke this Um, one down with Belton. I don't think we saw it from the end zone angle. And the only reason I bring it up is because Dex (laughs) I wanted three plays
2: in a row for for F sake. That's insane. Like, look at this (laughs) stuff.
1: It's almost like there's no one blocking him. It almost feels like. Yeah, I, I wanted to just highlight that specific play because I know we didn't show it from that angle. It's it's insane. That's what forces the check down. And then we can get to the last play of the game, though, man, this fourth and eight, this dump Another off of TJ played by Lawrence to force this checkdown. Yeah, let's watch it from this angle first. And then we'll see <laughs> just Dexter Lawrence, man, is just absolutely insane. And this is two plays now in a row that the Giants are running. Cover one, third and eight, right. fourth and eight. You can see. Cover one. It's man coverage. You're going to have two sets of eyes on Justin Jefferson with Love down in the box, just like we saw a little bit earlier. You can see Adoree Jackson in trail, kind of underneath that, underneath the hip of a, of a Justin Jefferson, just in case he runs that seven route. Which exactly, it's exactly what he runs. And you can see Adoree Jackson's all over him. So that's processed right at this point by Kirk Cousins. He knows he can't go to Justin Jefferson, and there's no one else to that side of the field. He knows he has to get rid of the football. The only place he can really go is T.J. Hawkinson, man. I know we kind of, yeah. we, um, we made fun of him a little bit and, you know, I, I get it. Like, no one wants to check down on a fourth and eight. Like, that's a terrible situation, but what else could he have really done if his eyes were in that direction and he was hoping to have 18, just throw yeah, it up, I guess, to 18, but 18 he was, had like, more Ranky. time
2: and there was no pressure. I think he could have flipped his eyes back to the other side of feeling like I was saying earlier, hit Osborne. It's not like he's wide open, but at the same time, it's a, it's a play that he could make, but he doesn't have that time because Dexter Lawrence is literally right in his face. And that's what he said after the game too. And I can, you can see it right there from the end zone angle. Like what can he do in this situation? He's looking to one half of the field. He's about to get a sack. The other, the one route that he wanted to go to to Jefferson is no, you can't throw that ball. Right. That's going to get intercepted. And some people have been like, well, you could say the same thing about the fourth and 18 play against the bills earlier this year with the Vikings, where he, didn't have a great look to Jefferson. He just chucked it up and let Jefferson make a play. And I think that's a fair case that you can make like screw everything you're taught as a quarterback here, just kind of chuck that up in the direction of Jefferson and hope he makes a play on it. Or you get lucky and you get a pass interference and it's still better than a check down. And that I actually can't understand. But in the moment, like when you're about to get, take a sack and you're just like, do I just chuck this up into three white defenders (laughs) or do I just try to hope my tight end can win a one-on-one matchup?
1: Yeah, it's close. I can, I can see both, both, uh, logic, logic behind both decisions, especially since TJ Hawkinson has kind of burned the giants throughout yeah. two matchups in these similar types of situations. But I, I completely understand what the other people say, but look at this point, man, you have three defenders, at least in the area of Justin Jefferson, when TJ Hawkinson is catching the football, it's that KJ Osborne out of the stack to the field side as the number two receiver or something that, you know, struggles against man coverage that we went over a little bit before he's open against Cordell flat, but Dexter right. Lawrence being Dexter Lawrence just prevents Kirk Cousins from ever getting there. Yep, and that's and that's it, and that's the game. And
2: the Giants are able to rally to the bar. You, know, you can see they make the tackle. Game over, Giants win. Awesome. We're moving on to the divisional round. So let's wrap this thing up with some superlatives, Nick. And
1: I want to yep. start with the highest effort player that you saw on film. It's hard not to go with Dexter Lawrence. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to take him out of it. Because no, he's the best. you have to go with
2: the best answer. No, no. If that's the oh, that's answer, go. it's
1: it's Dexter Lawrence then.
2: But we got it. I want it. I want you to do that because I am eventually, once the season's over, going to tally these all up. And I want it to be accurate to what we saw on film instead of just like, gotcha. oh, we don't want to give everything to one guy. So if he deserves everything, you got to get everything. So he is also my highest effort player. There are other players like Darnay. Holmes, who I'm going to about to put in another category, they can see you make a case for, like, even like Xavier McKinney and Julian Love have playing with high effort. A lot of these guys are playing with high effort, honestly. But the fact that Dexter Lawrence is able to put together a series like that when they got to have it at the end of a game after already playing basically every snap at 345 pounds, there's just no one else who can deserve that. So let's move forward to the unsung hero on defense of the game. Yeah, player, same thing. Yep, go ahead. Darnay Holmes hundred percent blowing up those screens, changed the game in a lot of different ways. Um, So he's also my pick as well. So let's actually, on- he's a
1: player Dan that like, we, I don't think we're mean to, <laughs> I feel like, you know, he, he's not the best in coverage and he's not really thought of too highly among like giant fans, but sure. I don't think it's crazy to say if the giants, didn't have Darnay Holmes in this game. They might not have one. That's how much of an impact some of those plays had. On first down, blowing up plays for four-yard losses, for three-yard losses that lead to punts, that absolutely just takes the football and deflates it from Kevin O'Connell's grasp. So, like, Darnay Holmes was huge in this game.
2: I think that's 100% fair and a good, accurate assessment of what he was able to offer in this game. Let's turn it over to the best player on film. This one, though, obviously not much of a surprise.
1: Yeah, it has to be Jason Pinnock. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Dexter Lawrence was a was an absolute stud, man. It's yeah, it's crazy, dude. Like we're we're talking about somebody who could potentially next year be in like defensive player of the year conversations, knocking on wood if he remains healthy and he continues playing at this level, especially if he takes it to another level, which is kind of just wild to think at this point.
2: Yeah, look, he had 29 pressures this year, which was 21 more than anyone else who played his position. Like that From alone. be. From the the A-gap. Yeah, when lined up over center. That alone could probably put him in the discussion for defensive player year. But I think when you watch the tape, you can just see he's just so dominant every single week. And that, you know, deserves the credit. And I think he's probably, if I had to say, just based on the tape, who's been the best Giants player all year, either side of the ball, I'd take him over Andrew Thomas.
1: I think you're right. I mean, he had 70 pressures, including this matchup, 70 pressures on the season as an a gap as an yeah, nose. nose. <laughs> yeah. It's absurd. That doesn't happen, man. That just doesn't no. happen that often. Let's wrap this thing up with a
2: pass rush grade one through 10, and then a run defense grade. Let's start with a pass rush grade one through 10
1: pass rush grade. Look, Dexter Lawrence himself <laughs> deserves <laughs> like a 20, right? But I felt like you didn't get any sacks in the game, but that's also because the, I feel like the approach that the, um, what the Vikings were utilizing and how Martindale was calling his defense. He didn't blitz a lot. There wasn't a lot of seven guys up on the line of scrimmage because you had so many guys allocated towards split safety looks. So that's one reason why we didn't get the sack numbers, but we saw a quick passing game. Kirk Cousins was trying to get the football out of his hand because Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence were getting pressures. So I'm going to go with a seven, just a flat seven.
2: I think that's fair. Uh, don't love flat numbers. always think you should add a decimal, but I will go. With yeah, but I don't second. feel
1: like you should add a decimal if you think it's a seven, right? Uh, yeah,
2: but, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. There could be some, some flat numbers, so we'll give it to you. I think you won that argument. I'll go 7.4 here, like kind of in that 60, you know, 75 percentile type range. I love what Dexter Lawrence did. I like a lot what Leonard Williams did as a pass rusher in this game. Wasn't mm-hmm. the best game pass rushing outside of those two. But like you said, part of that is the context they didn't blitz a lot in this game so you're not going to get a lot of sacks and pressures if you're not blitzing but even so part of the reason i have such a high grade despite only blitzing what 22 percent of the time they able to pressure cousins 45 percent of the time so almost double those snaps i think it was 45.4 so that to me alone shows that it should be a decently high number okay how about run defense grade let's wrap up there
1: Run defense look, again, it wasn't as good as as probably we would like, and this isn't a power gap team, but I think a lot of that was also from a scheme standpoint and how the Giants played it and the Giants personnel. So considering all of those factors, I'm not going to be as low as maybe some might suggest. I'm going to go with a,
2: a 6.4. I think that's fair. I'm going like 5.5 range for me. 5.5 is the number I'll go with. I think the context has to be considered, like how many times are Giants using seven defensive backs on the field? Like that's going to be hard to stop the run when you have that kind of personnel package in. So, with that said, though, there were still a lot of situations where I just felt like they, were, the Vikings, were able to, to get what they wanted in the run game, and that's just yeah. kind of how it's going to be. We we know what we got there in this run defense until next year when we upgrade the personnel. So, that's it for the Giants Big Blue Banter defensive film podcast. The Wild Card round. Keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Banter podcast. More content coming your way. We already previewed a bunch of it yesterday, but keep it loaded. Maybe a mailbag we'll throw in there, too, like end of the week type thing. We'll discuss that. We'll see where we're both at with um, everything else um, going on in our lives. But we're definitely going to do a State of the Giants type preview Q&A with the entertainer like we did last week. We're definitely going to do a preview podcast, and we're still working on who we're going to bring on for that. So those are things that will be locked and loaded for sure coming up the rest of the week. Thank you. Have a good rest of your week, and happy birthday, Nick. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. And make sure somebody
1: sings you the birthday song tonight. Uh not really bad it. you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, but let's go, Giants, man. This is this is an exciting time. It really is. Thanks again for everyone supporting us as well.